0: Hi everyone, it's Nick. A quick note before we start. This year, May has been our target to publish our 2023 team profiles. Unfortunately, we're going to be closer to the end of the month than the beginning of the month for our release date. We are working tirelessly to update all of our 2023 information and have made many improvements that will pay off for the 2023 season and beyond. Thank you for your patience and for your support at patreon.com slash cfb one Now on to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody, at CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Fogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Fogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And today, we're going to be doing some team previews. We're going, uh, I believe it is 130 through 121. So, starting at the bottom, and moving on up here. So we did uh, miss last week's show. We wanted to wait till to get some of these uh, G5 win totals from DraftKings and, you know, uh, give Nick a week or two to calm down here, get everything ready, rock and roll. So we are back and ready and uh, good to go. So, uh, Nick, I mean, it's a good thing we waited with those DraftKings, uh, you know, odds coming out. Uh, that included odds for Sam Houston and Jacksonville state who were previewed last week. Um, and nine of the teams we're going to talk about today, but Sam Houston added a quarterback after we talked about them, uh, Grant Connell, uh, right after we recorded, of course, just the way it always goes. Uh, but you know, their win total was four. We got them for more with Grant Connell. So it seems like a, you know, pretty good thing that happened for us here. Yeah, it was definitely all
0: by design. I certainly didn't cancel on you guys the last minute after nope, pushing it never. two days never. Uh, never. prior to that. So definitely, come on, I was a, giving uh, you an out, Nick. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and,
1: and,
2: and, yeah, you just had to tell them that you
1: took. Take the my olive
0: branch. Yeah, and yeah, me. yeah. No, it's it's uh, it was it was definitely a happy accident. It worked out. For the best, sorry for uh, planned it that uh, way. Not, not being day. out, there. yeah, it was actually by design. We mentioned yes. it. I think it just got caught off. You know, just got caught it. Uh, you know, last week, uh, if you didn't hear it, but um, yeah, no, it 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 worked out. And yeah, you know, as everybody who has ever uh, recorded a podcast knows, as soon as you stop recording, some piece of news is probably going to hit that makes at least a certain bit of it out of out of date and this Grand Connell news does that because we talked about Sam Houston and uh, I was a little curious you know are we going to see maybe a uh, more of a run heavy offense are we going to see them open up a little bit more uh, in the passing game to take advantage of some talent that they've got at wide receiver didn't really seem like they had the quarterback to do that Grant Cannell is a little bit more in that mold he's I believe uh, still the all-time leader in Texas in passing yardage, if, if that's correct. Uh, saw a note for that. Uh, certainly well-traveled. He started at Arizona, went to Memphis, went to uh, North Texas, hasn't really played much the last few years. But um, I, I right now would expect him probably to be the favorite to start and seems to fit uh, that offense. At least looks like a, a slight upgrade on paper. Uh, in our calculations and, you know, continues to, to bolster uh, Sam Houston as a competitive team that with that win total set at four, um, we see some value on over. Uh, and so, you know, we put together the list um, when we do all these projections our over unders, what would a hundred dollar bet do? Um, and yeah, if you put hundred dollars on uh, minus minus one twenty-five, which is what this was earlier today, uh, we have a chance to win 80 and, and, uh, yeah, I think that that so far seems like a pretty good, uh, pretty good bet.
1: I like it. Yeah. We're, uh, officially on the over for Jacksonville state at five and a half as well. So, uh, I like some of these lines and like you said, just kind of, uh, fortuitous for us to take a week off and for everything to work out. Xavier, how have you been, man? Uh, And how's how's everything going in your world? How's dad life? Dad life has
2: been fine. However, I guess with either old age or genetics, I have sinus issues now, and those absolutely suck. I, I can't tell you guys how much it sucks to have sinus issues at 26 when I never used to get them as a former athlete playing outside all the time. I would never get them. Now I've got headaches. I've got drainage. Like it's gross. And I hate it.
1: All right, grandpa. Thanks for the update on the sinuses. Uh, you know, uh, look, uh, I, I understand, uh, what, what you're going through getting older, uh, is not great. I helped build like a cabinet for my mom. You know, she ordered it off Amazon, uh, like a couple weeks ago and, Uh, my back hurt for like a week and a half because I was just like bending over to put the screws in and all that stuff. Uh, when I normally just sit on my butt in front of the computer all day, so at least
2: they had screws and you didn't get one of those IKEA joints with all with nothing but Allen keys.
1: Oh my god, yeah, (laughs) dude, don't even get me started on those. Like, I, I just, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay whatever the the price is that someone come in and <laughs> I think it was a simple. Yeah. But from now on, like it it took a whole day. It is not worth my time anymore, and it hurt my back. No, thank you. Too old. Uh, I, you know, too old for this stuff. But let's talk a little bit about the transfer portal before we get to the team I was, reviews. I was gonna say, time. if this goes three hours today, I'm gonna remember yeah, that. My fault. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be my fault. No, no, no. Don't worry. Uh, I'll, I'll keep tabs of how long everything takes. Uh, when we get there, but like I said, we're going to get to the transfer portal last week, Auburn added a P five starting QB to its roster with former Michigan state starter, Peyton Thorne. Thorne will compete with Robbie Ashford for the starting job for the Tigers. But Thorne, I believe is considered the favorite here. Uh, TJ Finley who left Auburn following the spring is committed to Texas state Arkansas transfer. Malik Hornsby is a projected starter, but the Bobcats were reportedly aggressively pursuing multiple QBs, uh, and landed a veteran with experience at two SEC programs in TJ Finley. Jair Shorter, the big play wide receiver with 11 touchdowns last year at North Texas, committed to Auburn as well. Uh, Tuesday, giving Thorne or Ashford talent uh, to work with there. Uh, breaking news as uh, we begin to record, the Tigers also uh, added short, uh, Shorter's teammate, linebacker Larry Nixon, the third. LSU added Former uh, Notre Dame running back Logan Diggs on Tuesday. Diggs is a Louisiana native who was recruited by Brian Kelly and was connected to LSU almost immediately after he left the Fighting Irish. The junior ran for 822 yards and four touchdowns while averaging 4.98 yards per carry, uh, splitting carries in 2022. So Auburn and LSU adding some nice pieces here, Nick.
0: Yeah, you know, not too many people. Uh, I think we're, we're super excited about. Peyton Thorne, he is experienced and, and, you know, it's shown uh, some good things. I believe Xavier is more positive than, than most of the, uh, you know, what I've seen reaction wise on Twitter by pretty much everybody, but maybe Auburn fans who uh, were hoping to, to bring in a little bit more experience uh, into that quarterback position. Um, but I think it'll, I think it's, it's, you know, probably a good thing. And, and then obviously um Auburn continues to add depth and, you know, guys like Jair Shorter, uh, who, I mean, his career stat line is, is just incredible. I believe he has like 58 career catches, something like that. And over 20 touchdowns. I mean, just an incredible, uh, you know, receptions to TD ratio, um, including last year where he had 11, touchdowns and averaged 27 yards per catch. So uh, has an opportunity to, to really make some big plays. Also, you know, fairly big target as well, listed at 6'2", 218. Um, Nixon has, you know, been a bit of a tackle machine. Looked like he was uh, set up to, you know, have a, a really, really big year at North Texas. Um, not a hundred percent sure that he's, you know, guaranteed to, uh, go into a, a starting spot at Auburn. Um, you know, they do have Cam Riley back, brought in Austin Keys as a, a, a transfer, but I imagine he will be a contributor and and certainly, uh, if nothing else, add some depth there. But I think probably the the biggest impact player in this group, um, maybe with the exception of Thorne, if he really does come in and, and you know, that offense clicks right away, is Logan Diggs, LSU um you know, has some talent at running back. Has some uh, guys who've been, you know, either highly recruited if they were Noah Kane, or you know, Williams had stepped up and, and really kind of overachieved to solidify that spot the last couple of years. But Diggs has been a really, really good player at Notre Dame, and I, I think would have the opportunity to step in and be uh, probably their feature back. And not saying he's, you know, the missing piece to an SEC championship type team, um, but certainly doesn't hurt. And uh, he's
2: a good
1: player and and think he's a, a pretty good fit there. So, I Mary mean, your thoughts on some of these uh, moves for Auburn and the running back going to LSU here?
2: Yeah, I love Logan Diggs going to LSU. It wasn't much needed for them. They, they've always kind of had a bell cow, regardless of who was back there, whether it was Taylor David Price or, I mean, you go all the way back to obviously Clyde edwards They've always had at least a singular guy. John Emery comes to mind as well. You know, who could just, you know, tote the rock for them and, you know, for a running game that I think last year got LSU through a lot of early struggles for Jaden Daniels. So that's going to be huge for them now that he's in year two. He should be better, right? And obviously with the offensive line being better itself, um, you know, and bringing in a talent like that, that's going to be great for them as well. TJ Finley, like I said, I, let, let's let's see what he's able to do. Like I said, I, I thought he would have to go to the G5 level. Um, and, I, and I and I like the, the competition that he's going to have with Malik Hornsby, I hope that, you know, whomever gets the job there um, can make Texas State, you know, in Texas State to get both Malik Hornsby and T.J. Finley excellent grabs, right? Like, this is not a this is not your biggest G5 school, you know, at all. But to go and get an Arkansas, a former Arkansas player and now a former Auburn player at the, at the most important position on the field is huge. Um, but a short going to Auburn is, I think, massive, right? Auburn hasn't had a receiver of notes since, what, Seth Williams? So it's been a while since they were able to put out or, you know, they had a bona fide number one receiver and him coming to that roster just immediately makes the offense better. Uh, The same way I feel about Peyton Thorne. He will make that roster better, I think, um, if he does ultimately win the job. I think that offense will be asked to do a little bit less from the pocket, which is probably best for him. Um, at Michigan State, he he was asked, I think, at times to be a little bit too much of a pocket passer. Peyton Thorne's a better athlete than I think people give him credit for, so I'm looking forward to seeing what he does there. Um, I don't know if he makes Auburn like you know an S, you know, an eight and four, nine and three ball club by any means, uh, but I do think he's a better quarterback than Robbie Ashford, um, and they continue to put talent around him, so there's no problem with that either. So I I think Jair, should, excuse me, that move for them is massive because Auburn hasn't needed a wide receiver one. <clears throat> for almost half a decade, it feels like. Um, and to go get a guy that productive that you know from day one, it's not a five-star, it's not a high four-star kid, that you know from day one is going to be that good, is, is is a huge gift for them. And Man. it just shows the, the – what's his name? The pool that the head coach has, right? You know,
1: Yeah, uh, Z- Xavier giving Auburn credit here is just like, I don't I know. know. It feels like I'm in the twilight zone right <laughs> now. But, uh, you know, we'll see. A couple it's other – <laughs> A couple of other transfer news here. Uh, transfer moves here. Uh, Casey Thompson, who reportedly received interest from Auburn, will go to FAU. The former Texas and Nebraska QB will reunite with uh, former Longhorn head coach Tom Herman. Alabama landed one of the top defensive players in the portal in former Louisiana cornerback Trey Amos as well as former UAB safety Jalen Key, who chose the Tide over Florida State and Ole Miss. A player who won't factor in uh, for the Tide is Traquan Figgins, who has transferred to USC. The Trojans also received a commitment from his five-star brother, Anquan, a member of the 2025 class. Defensive lineman Kelby Rose, an all-conference USA performer at Louisiana Tech, has committed to Arkansas and should see plenty of action. For the Razorbacks. The Hogs got more good news last week after previously backing off his pledge to Arkansas. North Texas transfer tight end Varquez Gums reaffirmed he would join the Razorbacks. Amos's former teammate, Cam Pettisclaw. I'm gonna go with that. An all-sun conference safety for the Raging Cajuns has entered the portal as a graduate and should receive similar attention. Miami has also picked up the pace. By adding ULM defensive lineman Anthony Campbell, Nebraska running back A.J. Allen, Bama and Louisville wide receiver uh, Tyler Harrell, and Vanderbilt corner Jadais Richard in the past week, uh, Oregon has been busy as of late. Well, as of late as well, uh, the Ducks added wide receiver Gary Bryant from USC, offensive lineman Nashad Strother from ECU, and defensive back Nico Reed from Colorado in recent days. All of which should be contributors in 2023. So a couple other moving pieces here, Nick.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Casey Thompson, uh, I think, you know, has an opportunity to, to really do some good things at FAU. He, he had his moments uh, at Texas, at Nebraska, uh, obviously didn't win enough at, at either place and, and uh, wasn't able really to uh, establish himself, you know, uh, Long term, uh, but reuniting with Tom Herman, you know, and and FAU um, seems like there's an opportunity for success there. One of the most experienced rosters in the country in terms of returning production, uh, and Thompson immediately becomes the favorite, uh, you know, to, to uh, start there. Uh, even though they did bring in Daniel Richardson from Central Michigan, I would expect that you know Thompson, who's been a starter at two Power Five programs, uh, and has you know, a little bit more history with the head coach Um, seems like he's going to be uh, a pretty heavy favorite to start week one, Alabama. I'm a little bit torn on what they're doing right now, because um, we've talked before that. I was a little bit concerned how low I expected Alabama to be in our power rankings actually having you know work through our 2022 or excuse me 2023 sheets um, it's not as bad as I originally thought there's still a ton of talent obviously available but you know Alabama's being a little bit more aggressive in the transfer portal than they previously were understandably so um, they were kind of picking and choosing last year and, and pick some you know really top-notch Players like Jameer Gibbs this year, you know, uh, uh, Amos, solid player, uh, but is a group of five transfer. Jalen Key, really solid player, but also a group of five transfer. Both guys are going to have an opportunity to start in a secondary that, you know, looked a little thin, looked a little inexperienced uh, coming in. So certainly bolsters that group. But part of me is, you know, torn if Alabama has to. You know, pick up uh, players from Louisiana and UAB, regardless of whether or not they were you know underrated or have proven themselves at the the Division One level. That just doesn't exactly sit right with me. It it makes me just a little bit more concerned, maybe about uh, Alabama than than I normally would be. But you know, it's just different. Doesn't mean it's bad, um, but. Uh, we're i guess moving away from alabama just uh being able to roll in another five star four star player um into those open spots they're you know going out and, and picking up some more experienced players who've kind of proven themselves uh at the group of five level um to to add to uh, you know the depth, or, or maybe even uh, plug in as, as starters. wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if at least one, maybe both of those guys end up starting week one for Alabama. But um, a name I think to to keep an eye on he's probably going to be uh, you know relatively unknown even now. But Kelvin Rose was was good at, at Louisiana Tech, all conference player. Um, so he certainly has gotten some recognition, but I think still. Maybe a little underrated. Doesn't necessarily fill up the stat sheet, but uh, played a key role. Played a lot, and as we'll talk about a little bit later in our Louisiana Tech uh, preview, you know he's he's going to be uh, he's a big loss, big loss for the Bulldogs, and and I I do think that he'll uh, play a significant role there for Arkansas. Um, Miami and Oregon have have really caught my eye the last couple of uh, you know over the weekend, over the last couple of weeks. Um, Miami, I was a little surprised that they had been, uh, as quiet in the transfer portal as they were, you know, that first window and then er- the, the early, you know, first few weeks in, in the second window didn't do a ton or at least didn't do as much as I expected. I, I thought that they would be more of a, you know, USC type, uh, what they did last year to go pretty aggressive and fill some holes with some of the. Uh, top available players. Um, Miami either wasn't able to do that, or or really didn't try to. But they're you know picking up some some key guys. Uh, you know Campbell didn't. I don't believe had a recruiting rating coming out of high school. Really hasn't had much production, but was rated really high in a lot of the transfer portal rankings that I've seen. Um, uh, you know grades out pretty well. Curious to see uh, what impact he may have, but, you know, according to a lot of folks who are a little more familiar with him than, than me, uh, big get Tyler Harrell might be among the very fastest receivers in college football was hurt a lot of last year at Alabama. So didn't make much of an impact, but, you know, there's some guys here who are potentially uh, going to be impact players, um, but not necessarily that top tier uh you know talent level that that I kind of expected Miami to pursue uh and, and land uh earlier in this transfer portal year but I uh, really do like what Oregon has done i thought gary bryant junior uh might be headed to arizona they really could use a third wide receiver uh but oregon you know doesn't necessarily have um you know beyond uh uh my my mind just went blank, but they they could use uh, some depth there uh, at receiver as well. Their their number one guy, t- uh, Troy Franklin, is you know certainly great, but uh, the other guys in the mix: Chris Hudson, Trayshawn Holden, Tez Johnson, uh, who is a transfer coming up from Troy, who who is also Bo Nix's uh, brother. I expect will be a, a major impact player, but Gary Bryant should factor in. But I uh, was a little surprised he didn't end up in Arizona, but. Uh, Oregon is being smart, adding some depth pieces, some experienced players, starting experience. Nashad Strother at Eastern Carolina or East Carolina, excuse me, Nico Reed at, at Colorado. Added a couple of others as well um, this week to really kind of round out that roster. Uh, I think they're making some some smart decisions, even though if you know, like Miami, they're not necessarily bringing in uh, the the flashiest players, the the guys who are you know, the most proven at the FBS level just yet, but
1: um, seem to be smart in in the way that they're attacking it. Fabio, your, your thoughts on uh, these moves here? Is there one that stands out above the rest?
2: Absolutely. And it's, it's Alabama adding any help to that secondary. They need it so bad. Um, and, and I really love – the idea that they went out and got, like Nick was saying about Oregon, you know, a proven guy and Trey Amos, um, and adding a safety in Jalen Key. This is a fra- this is a, a secondary that last year for Alabama was their weakest link, in my opinion. Right now, some can say maybe it was receiving core, or maybe the offensive line could have been better. But the most exposed aspect of that roster last year and many of the most important games that they had last year were this was the secondary, right? Your your McKinsey's, the Mercury Helms, uh, Jordan Battle, you know, Jordan Battle and Helms are both gone. mckinstry is really the only talented guy, maybe still left. Brian Branch is also gone, right? Um, and they really need to add, if not insurance, experience to a secondary that needs to be better, right? Like, this is what at the, at the end of the day, this is always what Nick Saban has been able to hold his hat on, right? It's been his secondary. He Not only did he get his, you know, his start as a DB coach, he's always still coaches the DBs at Alabama. So for him to have such a porous secondary like he had last year was so not Alabama that I think that they're kind of, I'm not going to say hitting the panic button, but bringing all of this experience lends me to think that he does not think at all the secondary right now is ready to, you know, ready to play for the, you know, for the, the recruits that they brought in um you know Nick Saban doesn't miss his words at all he's a guy who look if I don't think guys talented enough I'm gonna bring in more people um and I think he's doing that with the secondary so I love those moves I think they're extremely important for a team that wants to contend for he wants to get back to contending for a national championship they needed help in that secondary and they, and they went out and got it uh so I love that a
1: <clears throat> couple of moves before we move on here South Carolina earned a commitment from defensive lineman Jateus Gear. A former starter at Syracuse, Stanford, which has been far more active in the transfer portal than in past years, picked up a commitment from Syracuse transfer quarterback Justin Lamson. Productive Georgia Southern defensive back Tyler Bride has committed to Minnesota. Former NC State running back uh, Demi Samuo Cargan Kar- Bay, not sure how to say that, uh, committed to Kentucky, where he will rejoin teammate devin leary and likely provide depth for ray davis and mississippi state has added former penn state running back uh, Kevon lee uh so a couple other moves there but let's go to the t- team previews starting at number 130 with fiu here fiu surpassed all expectations by winning four games in mike mcintyre's first season in 2022 two of them in overtime However, the Panthers lost seven games by 20 points or more and lost several key players since their DK win total is two and a half. We have them only favored to win one, but projected for just over four wins. Uh, So with a projected record of four and eight, we are officially over the two and a half projection. The question for FIU, Nick, um, FIU benefited from a very manageable schedule in 2022, probably playing worse than its record would indicate. The Panthers played just one power five opponent in 2023 and ranked number two in Conference USA in returning production. Will FIU be better, worse, or maintain its four-win level?
0: Yeah, FIU uh, was our largest projected edge in what we projected win total wise versus uh, what these, you know, DraftKings uh, win totals uh, were this time last year when we were going through this. And I was a little nervous about it. Um, and, you know, early in the year, they weren't playing particularly well. Uh, they really didn't play all that well most of the the year, but um Found a way to win. Found a way to win four games. Picked up a little bit of you know confidence, momentum, you know whatever the, the buzzword is. Um, had had some positive you know outputs that you would think might be able to to carry over into the next year. Second year under a head coach, usually you see a big jump, um, but. I, I also kind of wonder if this team just overachieved because, you know, on paper roster wise last year, one of the, the lowest in, you know, our roster strength ratings at the end of the season, they were 128th overall in uh, roster strength out of the 131 teams that we finished last year, offensive side of the ball, 125th defensive side of the ball, 129th yet they still, you know, were able to, to get it done, find a way to win four games. Um, they did lose some key players, um, you know, uh, in the passing game in particular, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Auburn already, uh, but Rivaldo Fairweather, uh, really talented tight end, big target, probably going to make an impact at the SEC level. Um, they also lost Tyrese Chambers who came in and was an all conference performer, big play receiver. Uh, he is off to Maryland. They were expecting to get back Lexington Joseph, who was a you know All Conference USA return man. Also has been you know pretty good running back. Uh, started a little slow last year, but by the end of the year was was you know taking over that job and and you know playing quite well. Seemed like he was in line for a pretty heavy workload in 2023, but unfortunately goes down with a you know torn ACL in the spring and, and is going to be out. They lost a lot of, uh, you know, offensive linemen to the transfer portal. Multiple starters uh, walked out the door. They lost uh, their best defensive player, really their two best defensive players, to the transfer portal. And Gathan Bernadel, the linebacker who transferred to Stanford, and then Demetrius Hill, uh, redshirt freshman safety who you know really earned some accolades last year. He's transferred to Illinois. So, you know. It looked like at the end of last year, and I think I tweeted something along these lines that I thought, you know, FIU really could, in a new look Conference USA, uh, be in position to make some noise, take the the next step because they were bringing back Grayson James, who showed some really good things. You know, wide receiver Chris Mitchell uh, was productive last year. It looked like they, you know, could be among the top rated team or you know the the highest. Uh, ranked teams in returning production had they not lost, you know, some, some really key players to the transfer portal. They really didn't, you know, uh, uh, as far as graduations go, Devon Strickland interior defensive lineman is really the only guy in the two deep Uh, Ray Burnett at, at, you know, right guard. Those two guys were really the only two in the, in the two deep uh, who they lost to graduation. Everybody else uh, who left, left, Voluntarily, you know, through the transfer portal. So they could certainly overcome some of those losses. They have, uh, you know, brought in some transfers, a lot of them from the FCS level. Um, thus far, Travis Burke tackle from Gardner Webb, uh, defensive lineman Jack Daly and defensive back JT Anderson, both from Bryant. Uh, who they beat in overtime uh, in in week one last year? Uh, we're really fortunate to win that game, but um, you know this team. You, you take into account that some of the underlying metrics, especially I mean, they're they're being discussed here because they finished 130th out of 131 teams in our team performance ratings. Um, that's that's bad. That's not a four win team. That's a one win team. And uh, given what they saw, you know, walk out the door through the transfer portal, plus some of the maybe, you know, regression that we might see for a team that did overachieve a little bit, I'm much less optimistic about FIU than I was, you know, a few months ago before that that first transfer window opened. Uh, but nevertheless, manageable schedule. The way our projections work, you know, as you mentioned, uh, right now, kind of plugging in some of the teams that we haven't got to team profile wise, uh, but taking a look at, at you know, their schedule four wins seems, seems like a lot, but there are certainly winnable games on the schedule. Maine, Connecticut in the non-conference, um, you know, North Texas is now a non-conference game, but that's an opponent that they're familiar with. Uh, and then Conference USA, there's really no, maybe with the exception of of uh, Western Kentucky, there's really no unwinnable game in the conference schedule. So um, even though this team isn't that much improved, maybe, you know, you could make an argument that it's, it's a little bit of a, a step back because they're losing some, some really, really, uh, important players, players who were a big part of what success they had last year. Um, but there are enough winnable games that I don't think our projection is completely off. It's probably going to be on the high side, but we were also on the high side last year and it, it worked out. I mean, I think we were, what was it, over three um, and we had them projected for you know four and a half or, or something like that and ended up working out this year. You know, fingers crossed, we'll, we'll be in a similar boat. Um, but, you know, three wins seems about right. Um, but if some of the transfers fall into place and and they get another step forward from, you know, Gason uh, excuse me, Grayson, James, maybe open up the passing attack, uh, since Lexington Joseph is, is, uh, not going to be available for probably all season. Um, you know, maybe, maybe this team could surprise. I think there's a lot of opportunity, uh for somebody to to you know get hot and uh surprise some folks in in conference usa because it does seem so wide open fiu maybe not the the uh, most likely team but it wouldn't completely shock me if if you know they get those four wins and and maybe even uh you know one or two more if if everything kind of falls into place perfectly
1: Xavier, your thoughts on FIU. Is there a chance for this team to improve significantly, or do you think they'll hover around the same range they were last year? Yeah, I think they hover around
2: kind of where they were last year. You know, I, I think you'll find a team that, like Nick alluded to, in the second year will find a way to get closer to, to even, right? I don't think it'll be such lopsided wins or such close – I'm sorry, such close wins or such lopsided, lopsided losses. But I also see a team that realistically – is also you know going to going into another year where, recruiting wise was okay, right? They brought in a, a slew of three stars, which is what you would expect from FIU, right? Uh, they still are in the Florida base, so they they, they get a lot of, you know what what with Miami. Florida and Florida State don't, you know, end up accepting slash. just a lot of talent in Florida that doesn't get noticed, right? Like Florida's just a hotbed for high school talent, and there's a lot of three stars in, in Florida that might be four or five stars in other, in other states, right? So, once again, a, a decent class, right? Like I said, still with three stars, 13 of them are from the state of Florida. So, obviously, they're able to hit the, you know, in and around their own – um their own state. So that's great. They brought in guys like Claude Larkins, uh, from NC state, a uh, three star for off the edge. Uh, obviously the big one was Avery Huff coming in from Miami, uh, the linebacker who should be, you know, immediate starter, um, Eric rivers, another guy who I really like. Um, and then Christian Peterson coming from Louisville, once again, offensive talent, you know, the last two I just talked about was an athlete and was a tight end, right? So they should be better in that respects. I just, you know, when, when, when you look at their, their, uh, their schedule, I don't see a ton of just like, Nailed on winning games. Uh, they they Maine is probably the one I would give them off the rip. Uh, UConn is going to be a toss up, I believe. Um, and then they also feature against a team we'll talk about, yeah, you know, or, or you know, uh, New Mexico State is another game, I think. And they have that one after a bye week, which could obviously offer them a little bit extra, you know, preparation for that game and could you know turn into a win as well. Uh, they have two bye weeks. Something that doesn't is rarely seen for a lot of college teams, but I do like. Uh, they find one um, September 30th, so about five games in, and then after a four-game span, they get another one um, right before Middle Tennessee State uh, in a three-game run against Middle Tennessee State, Arkansas, and WKU. Right, so they get right before a really tough stretch there at the end of the year. Uh, regardless, though it gives you an opportunity to, at the very least, lick your wounds, prepare a little bit more uh, for a team that even though it's going into a second year with its coach, it's still going to be kind of feeling it out as they go. Um, They're going to still kind of have to not learn necessarily on the fly. Uh, But, you know, a a head coach in a second year isn't always a perfect situation. You know, he's still learning just as much as the players are in certain respects, um, being in the conference and things of that nature. But this is also a team who beat Louisiana Tech last year in double overtime. Beat Charlotte handedly, um, you know, but also lost to UConn by twenty by almost twenty points. So it's going to be one of those years where I think they get closer to being an average ball club. Like I said, so not too so many highs and lows, but I don't know if that turns into more wins for them. I think that two wins is what I'm comfortable with in this respect, uh, just because understanding that you know they oversee they, they they overachieved last year for to an extent. Um, I don't expect them to do that and creep up on anybody by next year. Uh, The one thing about teams that typically find some of those wins, you know, especially like, like I said, against Louisiana tech uh, where they were able to beat them in double overtime is that next year teams are a little bit more weary of your ability to go out there and beat them. um, If they've seen you kind of beat some of their counterparts that they're surprised about. And then, so without that factor as well, another year for everybody to kind of learn what the head coach wants to do as well. He has lost somewhat of of his element of surprise, if you will. Um, So, that's also something that you have to take into account too. Like I said, two wins is something I'm comfortable with in this respect, maybe three. Uh, but like Nick said, if everything goes right, this is not – I wouldn't be surprised if this was a, a another four-win team, maybe even five wins, uh, to be perfectly honest.
1: All right, I can't believe it's this late that we're uh, talking about UMass here uh, (laughs) making an appearance. Uh, UMass won only once in uh, Don Brown's return season, a 20-3 to victory over Stony Brook in week three. However, the Minutemen showed some improvement, especially on defense, and attacked the transfer portal. Uh, DK's got them down for one and a half. We have them favored in three with a projected four and eight record. Again, so well over the one and a half. Uh, Nick, the Minutemen men lost running back Ellis Merriweather to the NFL, but still rank in the top 20 in returning production, and thanks to incoming transfers, improved their roster strength rating. Will more talent lead to more wins in Brown's second season?
0: So this time last year, when we were at the, the very bottom of the rankings,
1: it was it got to be kind of a joke after
0: the first you know, eight or nine teams. It was like over, 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 over. And some of them were somewhat significantly over. Uh, UMass was among that group and, and, you know, we didn't for, I think, the third or fourth year in a row, UMass was among that group. Uh, and it didn't work out. But for the most part, everybody else, we, we did pretty well on, on this end of the, the spectrum uh, in our projections last year. So even though we've had a little bit of a rough run, you know, rough stretch with UMass, I think there are Some reasons to be optimistic that, again, this projection, while it's probably going to be on the high side, four wins is probably a stretch. Uh, It's not, uh, you know, inconceivable. Uh, We have seen teams, I mean, UConn went to a bowl game last year, right? So uh, you can take a manageable schedule and, you know, UMass will certainly take its lumps as it does against an SEC team every year. Uh, They play Auburn in week two. That's probably, you know, right now our projection is, uh, you know, near four touchdowns on that. Uh, They play Penn State. Right now we've got Penn State favored by 40. Um, So there are going to be some lopsided games, but um, there's one game they absolutely should win against Merrimack, pretty young FCS uh, opponent. And there are plenty of other winnable games. New Mexico State week zero. Even though that's a long way away, you know, team that by now UMass pretty familiar with, Uh, Miami of Ohio, Eastern Michigan, New Mexico, Arkansas State. Both those two we'll be talking about later in the show. Um, You know, Army talent wise, they're they're uh, pretty similar to to UMass. Um, So there are winnable games, and you know, the fact that we've got UMass as a toss up with Arkansas State, uh, you know, less than a touchdown with New Mexico. Right now, Army's only a slight favorite. UConn's only a slight favorite. That game's going to be at a neutral site. They don't actually know where it is yet. Sounds like maybe Fenway Park. But um, part of the reason that we project UMass to be uh, a good bit improved is they have brought in uh, some, some guys that, you know, on paper, the way we do with the talent ratings coming out of high school or transfer talent ratings that are adjusted for career production and, and you know experience, things like that, UMass has brought in a lot of players who look like they are going to be slotted in as starters or two-deep contributors and are combining that with a pretty experienced roster overall. They rank 17th in returning production overall. They're top 50 on the offensive side of the ball, and they're top 10 uh on the defensive side of the ball and that's with losing you know a couple of their best players um but uh, you know they're bringing in guys probably their starting quarterback is going to be Tayson uh pomachan who coming in from uh georgia tech most recently was originally at clemson sounded like in the spring he got the majority of the first team reps uh they moved uh a a Player who started at quarterback last year, multiple games. Gino Campiotti to tight end. Um, Greg Derosiers, uh, you know, has converted from receiver when he was at Louisville. Now looks like he's going to be taken over for Merriweather. Maybe as that top running back, but there is some depth at that position with K. Ron Adams, Tim Baldwin, both of whom are, are you know coming back. But they added in Jalen John from Arizona, Jackson Paradis from Buffalo. So there's. You know, some depth there. The receiver group probably got the most, uh, you know, the biggest injection of talent. They brought in four transfers who are likely to play in Christian Wells from App State. Mark Pope, who started his career at Miami, was most recently at Jackson State. Uh, Anthony Simpson, Sean Harris. You know, they bring back George Johnson the third, who uh, was a transfer last year in his first season uh, from Michigan. Performed well, was a full time starter, and then Jaquan Gibson, who had a you know played a a, a lot of snaps as a uh, true freshman, didn't have a ton of production, but um, I think is a, a pretty talented player. Four returning starters on the offensive line, you know that offense, which was 130th last year in team performance, I think is going to have an opportunity to be better. You know, bring in a quarterback. Uh, who can run some depth, at the running back position uh, and some receivers that can, uh, you know, step up and and make a play here or there. I think we're going to see a step forward on offense, maybe somewhat similar to what we saw last year defensively when UMass improved from one of the worst in the country to, you know, top 100, they were 96th in defensive team performance last year. And they bring back, uh, what is it Uh, looks like seven full-time starters on defense Then add in probably, you know, two transfers who are going to be starters. Jerry Roberts was a starter at Arizona. Deshaun Jerkins started 28 games in the SEC at Vanderbilt and Ole Miss. Uh, So, you know, the, the, the defense I think has an opportunity to be not terrible. Um, Maybe take another step forward, maybe into that top, 75 range in team performance if the offense can be top 100 and the defense can be top 75 when you're playing in a schedule like umass plays uh where there are a lot of teams with similar talent profiles they're not going to be significantly overmatched talent wise especially if some of these power five players you know truly live up to to those uh talent profile projections that that they had coming out of high school, they they should be competitive. Um they should be competitive with, you know, the Mac teams that are on the schedule, should be competitive with UConn as they usually are, New Mexico State as they usually are. Um and I'm not saying that, you know, four wins is a foregone conclusion. I'm certainly not even saying that getting over the one and a half, you know, because we've been on UMass over one and a half seems like Three four years in a row, and it, it hasn't quite worked out for us. Uh, but I, I I do think you know based on what we saw, the defense getting a little bit better, and then two years in a row, the talent level ha- has increased significantly. Um, I I do think that there is a path to uh, you know multiple wins. Uh, certainly, but you know, three or four isn't crazy. I, I don't think, um, especially if the defense continues to improve and and maybe you know UMass does the sort of uh, use the the running game to uh, elongate possessions, run the clock, keep things close, get into the fourth quarter. I could certainly see that being you know the type of strategy that that they might want to take, and it could certainly pay off. Uh, give them an opportunity to win a few more games in the fourth quarter than
1: they've had in recent years. Xavier, your thoughts on the Minutemen here? You expect an improvement? You expect more of the same? What are you thinking?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I do expect somewhat of an improvement from this team, right? I think ultimately, <clears throat> this was a team last year that, in Nick, excuse me if I'm wrong, UMass fan, excuse me if I'm wrong, is this this isn't the highest we've had UMass on the list, correct? Or like the, the, the no way. No, no, they're th- okay. So, okay. I was just making sure, yeah. No, not,
1: not that not was behind. all sarcasm.
2: Oh, I know I was just I, I had to make sure because I, I, sure I didn't want to be like, well, you know, this is the highest we've had UMass on the list, so they're obviously improving. And again,
0: uh- I and I know it's a little bit confusing, it's not how we normally do it. These are last year's team performance ratings. I don't yet have UMass's uh, uh, team strength rating, but I can tell you right now they are. Not going to be 133rd. They are not going to be 132nd. I'm talking about. I can't guarantee anything beyond that. But, <laughs> but right now, they're right. not bottom two coming into the right.
2: year. And, and realistically, it, it's a buildup of last season, right? Last year in 2022, they had a top 50 transfer ranking as far as their recruiting was concerned right they finished 45th uh bringing in really good talent from bringing in some guys from michigan some guys from indiana florida state louisville like i said michigan again they really hit the transfer portal hard as far as transfers were concerned this year not as much this year this past year uh 98th in transfer rankings this year but they're really just expecting that those guys last year t- continue to take the jump uh getting shambri jackson from florida state a former four-star excellent move Jalen Johnson, a running back at Arizona, Deshaun Jerkins. This is still a team that continues to hit the, you know, hit at least uh, you know, the transfer portal really hard. Um, and go for some of, some more of your elite players that just haven't panned out, you know. And that that kind of just, you know, sums up Tyson Fomachon. This is a kid who was, you know, a fringe five star when he went to Clemson, right? And just has not been able to find his footing wherever he's been. However, I really, really like what he brings to this team. Uh, there's a certain level of athleticism. I um, mean, just realistically, a kid who I think, kind of like I've talked about TJ Finley to an extent, just has not been able to find his footing at the P5 level, but at the D5 level, you know, could really, you know, really blossom. Um, and really just be, you know, an added, you know, boost for them. Uh, this is a kid who realistically at, at Clemson, just once again, couldn't find his footing. It was just it both Clemson and Georgia Tech behind more talented guys, right? Behind DJ William uh behind Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. It just couldn't, you know, get over the hump. But realistically, I think it's more than talented enough to, to, to be the starter here at UMass. Uh, you look at their football schedule uh, going into this season, and I think it's a little, I think it's manageable uh, to an extent, right? Now they do have to play Auburn, which is going to obviously be a struggle for them at the beginning of the year, right? They, but they also get New Mexico State, uh, they get Miami of Ohio. Um, they also get New Mexico, a team that we'll talk about in this episode in particular. So they've got some games here that I think could be closer to toss-ups um, and could at least for the very least, you know, give them an opportunity to win some of these matchups. Uh, they also play Merrimack, right? So another game that I, I realistically could see them winning. Um, and then obviously they get UConn at the end of the year, which I, I think could really realistically be the t- the game that either, you know, pushes them to three or four wins. I, I think UMAT could honestly get that much this year. I'm not, you know, and I know I'm a little high on the first two teams already. Not everybody can win four games, but... I think it's I think it's crazy to think that UMass couldn't with the transfer reporter that they brought in last year, the transfer reporter that they brought in this year, um, and a in a quarterback who is dynamic, you know. I, I think when you watch for Machan, you're, you're gonna watch a lot of pocket presence, but this kid can go. You know, I think and and if he's allowed to have a license to move a little bit, um, you know, at, at UMass and license to be more of an athlete, I, I think you'll find yourself, you know, like I said, I think they'll find themselves somewhat of a gym here here at UMass to be perfectly honest.
1: All right, let's go over to number 128, Hawaii. Hawaii started slow, which was not a surprise with first-year head coach Timmy Chang inheriting one of the most inexperienced rosters in FBS. UH lost 10 games, but were improved in the second half. DK's got their win total at 3.5. We only have them favored in one, but have their uh, projected record at 4-9. and So we are over the 3.5 officially. The question here, Nick, is the Rainbow Warriors finished two and six in Mountain West play, but lost four times by a single possession. Uh, with more experience on hand, as well as the revival of the run and shoot, can Hawaii improve in twenty
0: twenty three? I uh, similarly to you know the last couple of teams, I, I do think there's a chance we see some improvement. I do think that there uh, is certainly some reason to be cautious um the you know you mentioned the move to the run and shoot Hawaii hasn't changed play callers or or, you know offensive coordinators but last year they you know didn't go for the you know didn't go all in on on bringing the run and shoot back uh it sounds like everything I've read and seen um you know in the early months of of the offseason spring practice that is the plan this year that is Uh, an offensive system where Hawaii is used across multiple coaching staffs uh, who have had um, success. Uh, You know, they had success, obviously, kind of the golden era of Hawaii football under June Jones was the run and shoot. Uh, Nick Rolovich implemented the run and shoot and and had some success and was able to parlay that into the job at Washington state. Uh, Timmy Chang was June Jones's uh, quarterback for four or five years and and set an NCAA passing record. So he knows the system well. Um, And so it, it, you know, makes a lot of sense uh, that they would go back to that and they do have an experienced quarterback in, Brayton Schrager. Um, they do have uh, some some potential at receiver. Uh, Jalen Walthall uh, is the returning leading receiver. Uh, Jonah Pinoke um, probably I would expect would be the the top uh, target this year. He missed some time last year with injuries, and then Tylen Hines is is really an exciting running back who's also uh, practiced a bit during spring practice, um, as a slot receiver, um, there's, there's some potential there. Hawaii did lose, uh, three full-time starters on the offensive line. Um, so, you know, not, not perfect. They're, they're a little light on experience there, though they should get, uh, solo, uh, Vapulu, who was a, uh, you know, 40 game starter, didn't actually qualify as a starter last year. Um, but he is coming back for his final year of eligibility. So it's it's kind of like three starters return on the offensive line. Um, but, you know, uh, the offense wasn't the, the major issue for Hawaii last year. So even though there's reason, you know, to, to think that it could be better, uh, if everything goes really well, maybe it could be one of the, you know, top passing offenses in the country, um, especially if that receiver group you know, shakes out uh, Tanatoa, Mokia, uh, Atamalala. Had a huge spring game two years ago. Got got some playing time, played around a little less than 40% of snaps last year. Um, so is he going to step up and be a starter? Well, Stephen McBride, who was a transfer coming in from Kansas, uh, or guys like Chucky Hines or, or Nick uh, Cynical, um, who didn't get a ton of playing time, but, you know, did get some experience last year. If if that group steps up and if Schrager, uh, you know, takes control of the job, and it, it seems like it's a you know a good fit for him, I think the offense has an opportunity to improve on what they were last year when they're ninety sixth in offensive team performance overall and one hundred twenty fourth in passing uh, offensive team performance. Um, there's certainly room for improvement there. But like I alluded to a little bit ago, the defense that ranked one hundred twenty seventh. Overall defensive team performance 116th passing, 122nd against the run. That's that's the major issue. Um, brought in you know Cam Stone, who is a starter at Wyoming and, and really an all conference level player. Um, should be a solid addition to what is otherwise you know not a super experienced group. This is not the Hawaii. Uh, roster uh, of last year when they were you know bottom or or next to last in almost every returning production category they're much more closer you know much closer to the fbs average on both sides of the ball um so there's some experience you can build around jonah uh welch uh john tuipotu uh verdell edwards the second peter manuma uh are all returning starters and and you know had multiple production points last year if you're familiar with our system of, of player ratings and how players can add uh, points to their ratings by being productive on the field and you know Hawaii's done a pretty good job similar to a couple of the teams that we've already talked about of adding some depth through the transfer portal up front I think is is where you know Hawaii saw the biggest increase qua uh, 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 palopa and Elijah Robinson, probably going to, you know, maybe contend for a starting spot on the defensive line. Uh, Wyndon Hohuli, who was a high four-star uh, at Nebraska, transferred back to Hawaii uh, to his home state last year. Didn't play very much, but, you know, has has really, really high-end potential. Uh, and uh, Patrick Hizataki, you know, both both he and Hahuli uh, were listed as linebackers, as recruits, and, and early in their college career, both are currently listed as defensive linemen for Hawaii, so you would expect, could have an opportunity to uh, be impact players as edge rushers. Um, I think there's, think there's a little bit of, of reason to expect we'll get more of a pass rush and, and a little bit better you know defensive line performance uh, from Hawaii this year. They were 121st in D-line performance last season according to our numbers and and ranked really, really low overall as far as defensive line units and our talent ratings. Um, I think that'll be an improved uh, unit. Can, can the other uh, position groups, including a, a pretty inexperienced linebacker core, um, make some, some similar uh, step forward, steps forward? You know, we'll see. Uh, as you mentioned, this was a much, Improved and much more competitive team in the second half of last year. This year's schedule sets up similarly where three of the first four, uh, weeks Hawaii will be playing power five opponents. Uh, the exception being a home game against Albany an FCS opponent. Um, but they're not going to be significantly outclassed in any Mountain West game. Um, Fresno State, even though probably not as good as they were last year, isn't on the schedule this year. Um, they do play New Mexico State again in uh, the non-conference. They do play 13 games again as usual. Um, but you know, trip to UNLV—that's a winnable game. Trip to New Mexico, even though you wouldn't necessarily—you uh, know—don't want to play the the—you uh, uh, know—most of your most beatable opponents on the road. Um, that's still uh, a winnable game, uh, similar with the trip to, to Nevada. Um, so there are winnable games. It's not the easiest schedule. It never really is for Hawaii uh, with the, the, you know, travel uh, concerns that they've got. But I think that the offense, there's a chance that we see a significantly improved offense as far as raw numbers go. Uh, efficiency still a little bit more of a question. And then I do think there's some reason to think that the defensive line, uh, and the defense as a whole is going to take a bit of a step forward. Will it equate, you know, will, will it, uh, turn into more wins? I'm not hundred you know, percent sure on that. We are on the over three and a half. It's uh, not by as big of a margin as our first two. And I don't have a ton of confidence in it. Um, but it also would not be a huge surprise. I, I do think that this will be a better team on the field. It's just how that translates to um, not the easiest uh, of schedules and, and certainly some inconvenient you know, trips that they'll have to take in, in some of their more winnable games.
1: Javier your thoughts on Hawaii. Obviously, like Nick mentioned, uh, the travel is always brutal yeah. for this team, but uh, do you think they can improve? They've got to learn how to
2: win. And I know that that sounds like a very simple equation, right? You know, just play better. But sometimes those are the things that plague some of these rosters, right? You look at the last year's games and you go, okay, cool. If they had played just an inkling better in about four of those games, they could have won, right? They lost to San Diego State by two, Colorado State by four, Wyoming by a touchdown, Utah State by a touchdown. Like these are all games that, you know, as a coaching staff and as a team, they, they probably thought were very winnable and they could have won, right? Would if we to them a bowl game, a bowl team last year, excuse me. So realistically, when I look at, when I look at Hawaii, that's the key here. Will they learn how to win this year? Offensively, they bring back a ton of older talent. And I think, I know I've, I've talked about garbage smelling worse, you know, the longer you leave it out, but I really think that this is an offense that is poised to take that next step this year. Um, you know, they're, they're a year older, but more and more importantly, I think they're, you know, uh, obviously a, another year in the offense and that's extremely important for a team that last year, I think struggled in some games. And you saw the ebbs and flows of, a, of an, of a new offense, right? Some games they would put up 20 plus, they even put up 30 against Hawaii uh, Nevada and in the very next week, they put up 13 against Colorado state. And I think that those are some of some of the, you know, the growing pains of going through a brand new offense, going through, you know, having to do that defensively. Nick, you hit it right on the head. This is a team that defensively needs, I'm not going to say needs an overhaul, but needs an inf- an infusion of talent. And they believe that 72% of their recruits this year were defense, Like. That's how many guys that they brought in defensively. So out of their recruiting class, they brought in 22 kids total. Seven, 16 of those kids were defense first, um, right? And so I think that this is obviously a team that understands, is a you know a school that understands it needs an infusion of defensive talent if they're going to ever compete in the Mountain West. Uh, because a lot of their games last year that that were losses were weren't barnstormers, right? Like defensively, they were okay. You know, 17-13, 16-14, 27-20. Those are very winnable matchups if your defense gets one, maybe two stops in the game, right? Versus not being able to do so. You look at the schedule this year, and Nick, I just don't see them navigating their non conference all that well. Um, outside of you all being obviously, uh, but playing Vandy, Stanford, and Oregon as your first three teams. Now, Stanford is one that, you know, depending on how Stanford handles the time difference and the travel and obviously a brand new coach, like that could be a, that could be a game that gives me, you know, I love to talk about my barometer games. If Hawaii handles business against a Stanford team that realistically is still going to be more talented, even though that they're going through their own kind of transitional phase as a, as a university, that could be huge for them, right? That's a big win, period. I, I know Stanford is not the Stanford of old, right? This isn't the, you know, the the, the twenty. 14 Stanford Cardinal, but regardless, beating a P5 team, beating Stanford could be really big for, for, for this school, especially in Timmy Chang's second year. Uh, When you look at the transfer portal as well, they were able to hit, in my opinion, a lot, you know, um, in the PAC 12, which is huge, right? You got Washington, Cal, uh, Colorado was another one. Um, Obviously, That is massive for them because I think these are all kids. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure most of these kids are kids. They probably thought about recruiting or did recruit in some fashion. So being able to get them, you know, later on down the line with a little bit more experience under the belt is always a good thing. Uh, I think they hit this transfer portal the correct way. Once again, bringing in a ton of defense, right. Uh, Bringing in, you know, two D linemen, an edge rusher, a linebacker, a corner, and a safety, right? So once again, an infusion of defensive talent. They know where their weaknesses are, and that's good, right? You, when you recruit in that fashion, it should pay, dividend, uh, pay dividends. Uh, when I look at this team, Nick hit it around the head. If they can learn how to win, this is a team that it honestly could make its first bowl game under Chang. Perfectly honest with you. Uh, they should probably... Right. Um, my To be honest with you, I think this should be a six win team, maybe a five win team. Uh, i be perfectly honest. I think that makes me feel most comfortable with them um, going into the second year. Nick alluded to earlier in the episode, typically teams play better in their second year. So if they can figure out the defense and if that defense with all the transfers, all the recruiting that they have made, you know, bring in so much talent can hit the ground running um, and they don't get bogged down by possibly a slow non-conference season then they should be fine. They, they should be a team that rides the wave pretty well. They've got a off, they've got a bye week in the middle of the season, probably right in the perfect place. Uh they get New Mexico State and UNLV right before it. And then they go kind of, I won't say through a gauntlet afterwards, but realistically they get the rest of their schedule. And right after that, you see San Diego State in Hawaii. Then you get your San Jose States. Then you get your Air Forces and, and so on and so forth. So it really gives them an opportunity to prepare for, you know, some of the tougher competition down the stretch that they're really going to need to. Um, you know, it's always great to get a bye week kind of right there in the middle for both players and coaches. So I think Hawaii should win five games minimum. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a bowl team this year.
1: All right. I mean, we'll see. Uh I, I would love to see it. New Mexico comes in at 127. They also posted double digit losses and followed an opposite script from Hawaii starting two and one, but losing nine in a row, including multiple blowouts in Mountain West conference play in a winless conference campaign. DK's got their win total at four. We have them favored to win two, uh, but their record at four and eight. We're officially under slightly um, this win total. Uh, the question for Nick for Nick for New Mexico, the Lobos are likely to be number 133 in our preseason FBS power rankings, but there are reasons for optimism, especially on the offensive side of the ball due to coaching changes um, and transfers, but will changes on defense offset those encouraging signs? I'm
0: concerned about the, the changes on defense. Um, you know, defensive coordinator Rocky Long uh, left for Syracuse. Um, on one hand, you know he's one of the uh, really one of the the most well known uh, architects of the three 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 five. Um, Danny Gonzalez, New Mexico's head coach, is one of his proteges, so it's not like there's going to be a significant drop off there. But uh, New Mexico defensively uh, was you know pretty good last year at times and had some really solid players um you know they they certainly weren't one of the best uh group of five defenses in the country but they ranked 85th in defensive team performance uh top 80 against the pass 91st against the run that for this level of of talent uh in new mexico last year ranked 129th in overall roster strength at the end of the year 130th on defense so you know Literally, in our way of calculating it, there was one team that had a uh, le- you know, had a defense on paper that was less talented than New Mexico's. Yet they still ranked uh, what, almost 50 spots better than that on the field. Um, that's you know that that that's pretty good. Uh, but returning production-wise, New Mexico defensively ranks 132nd this year. Um, they lost some of their best players uh to the transfer portal and you know I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that you know already uh they were at the extreme low end on the talent spectrum defensively um there's a new voice in the meeting room you know leading those defensive meetings this year um that Always there's a little bit of unknown there, but losing starters like, you know, Jenk Salton saw on the defensive line, Jaden Phillips, um, you know, Cody Moon and Dion Hunter uh, played a lot of snaps at linebacker. The secondary got hit really hard. Jarek Reed's going to be, you know, an NFL player, uh, all-conference performer at safety, but they also lost A.J. Halsey, who was a freshman All-American safety last year. Uh, he transferred out. To Houston. Um, they lost AJ. Odoms and and Ronald Wilson, uh, who were both starters and and transferred out. Wilson's going to the SES level in in card out word. Um, but Odoms is you know, headed to utep a rival. and you know a, a team on the schedule that is a winnable game, a team they beat. Last year, actually, they don't play uh, this year. They usually play. They they play most years, but uh, apparently that, that's off the rotation. But um, you know that that concerns me. That one side of the ball, it seemed like New Mexico had really kind of built something. They were really kind of figuring it out. Their uh, you know their roadmap to competitiveness. Uh, seemed like it was built on the defensive side of the ball. and there were some signs of success. not you know, obviously they lost uh, nine straight games, ten overall winless in conference play. So obviously they they still had a long way to go. Uh, but those changes, I think, kind of knock them off track a little bit. I'm more optimistic on offense, or at least optimistic that we will see, Improvement from what was literally the worst offense in the country in team performance, 131st overall. They were 131st in passing offensive team performance and 123rd rushing. Um, they did bring in Bryant Vincent, who was the interim head coach at UAB, took UAB to a bowl game last year. Also brought in Dylan Hopkins, who uh, was the starter at UAB uh, had a 10 to four touchdown to interception ratio, 8.9 yards per pass attempt. Pretty good. UAB leaned on uh, the rushing attack pretty heavily. That opened up uh, opportunities to take shots downfield. Kind of curious if, if New Mexico is going to be able to do that because uh, they do have a pretty solid one, two running back combo. Nate Jones, Christian Washington, Washington was uh, an all conference performer as a return man. Um, they do, they do lose, uh, their leading receiver, uh, Jordan, uh, excuse me, Parker to the transfer portal, but have some talent coming in, in a junior college transfer, DJ Washington, who had a big spring, big target six five, uh, and sounded like he was, uh, you know, putting on a show a lot in practices. Jeremiah Hickson is a transfer from Alabama state who similarly had a big spring, I've liked a little bit of what I've seen in the past from Luke Wysong Has kind of a diverse skill set. Can get him the ball in a variety of ways. So I, I think there's uh, potential, you know, especially if they can get the running game going. Um, and even though uh, you know two starters on the the offensive line are gone. And a unit that didn't grade out particularly well last year, 122nd in O-line performance. I, I think there's you know reason to, to think that because they've upgraded some at the skill positions, especially at quarterback. I mean, if if Hopkins comes in, solidifies that position. It's been a little bit of a uh, revolving door at New Mexico the last few years. Hopkins comes in, gives you know that that last year of eligibility uh, in an offense that he's familiar with. I think we'll see a step forward there. But then, you know, think about will that, will we see a, a drop off on defense from a team that really had shown uh, some progress on, on that side of the ball? So there are winnable games, you know, the Mountain West. Uh, obviously, we already talked about Hawaii, we will be talking about Nevada. Um, so those are winnable games. UNLV, there's some transition there, even though they're a pretty talented team, and and I think we're optimistic. But winnable against UMass in the non conference, we've already talked about. New Mexico State's not too far down this list, we'll talk about them soon. And then an FCS opponent, Tennessee Tech, you know, four wins seems really, really, uh, you know, like a lot, um, quite honestly we are on the under, as you mentioned, couldn't quite get to four. And I, I think that's right. Even though I do think that this, you know, New Mexico team could be better in some ways, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I, I would much prefer, I think, to, to be on the under here. I'm going to see, need to see a little bit uh, more, uh, you know, going to actually need to see some more proof of concept for um, taking care of business and and you know winning the games they're supposed to win and being consistently competitive week in and week out and really even just some signs of life on the offensive side of the ball because there really weren't any last year but um, you know I, I I'm repeating myself here but uh, to to conclude defensively this team really was was I think taking a step in the right direction and building its identity that is now put into question a little bit. And so there's, I think a little more unknown about this new Mexico team uh, this time this year than there was at the end of last season. And uh, with a, a talent profile where they're still going to be among the the lowest at the FBS level. Um, I I'm not too optimistic that they're going to be able to double that win total from last year.
1: Xavier, your thoughts on New Mexico. Do you think they can uh, get some more wins this season? I, this
2: is probably my first pessimistic take here. I, I just don't – you know, Nick hit it right on the head. This is a team that by losing their defensive coordinator, as impactful as he's been, especially on top of a team that's bringing back so little on the defensive side of the football. So not only are you losing your D coordinator, but you're also losing probably the mouthpieces that existed on his defense. So realistically, you're gonna have guys that have to now step up and be the new mouthpieces. You know, have to, the head coach is not gonna have to take extra focus onto those guys. It's it's really um, it's, it's obviously a, a really you know, troublesome situation. Did I just get breaking news really quickly? Alden McCaskill goes to goes to Colorado. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, that just that just hit my phone and I was like, this is great. I like that. um my bad but no i I really I really think that New Mexico is going to struggle defensively. Um, and this is a team that wasn't all that great defensively you know as long as score wise last year, right um there was an offense that obviously needed to take a te- step forward but you know you'll be out some of these scores you look 41 to 9, 35 to 3, 34 to 10, 31 14 obviously not great showings from, from their defense at all times, but really a defense that at the very least kept them afloat at times. And so I think New Mexico is going to struggle this year, you know, and unlike what I just talked about with Hawaii bringing in an infusion of talent, when they lose a lot on defense, New Mexico kind of went the other direction. They brought in a ton, a ton of offensive talent in the transfer portal and in, you know, out of, out of high school. Right. You know, they, they bring in, you know, a ton of wide receiver help quarterback into your offensive lineman. I think they've only brought, they've only brought in three, four talent uh, high school guys that were defensive minded. Um, And then out of the transfer portal, you brought in two safeties and, and an edge. So realistically, once again, this is a team that didn't even hit the transfer portal as hard as they needed to in that certain position group. And it really concerns me that you're going to be going in for another, you know, they're going to be going to a situation where new defensive coordinator, young defense, Defensive talent not really, uh, you know, addressed in the uh, you know, transfer portal slash in the recruiting, you know, on the recruiting trail this year. And all of that's going to just turn into a team that's supposed to get better. I disagree. Uh, this is probably going to be a team that either stays at what they were or, you know, uh, gets gets worse. You look at their schedule. The schedule this year, you know, as opposed to last season, does get a little bit more difficult, right? There, there isn't a main on the schedule this year. Right, uh, which obviously makes it harder. Uh, Tennessee Tech is probably their easiest game, uh, and every other game on here is probably a push, if not a, if not a loss. Nick, I would have probably assumed that by the numbers, every game on their schedule, they're probably either favorite to is either a push or a loss outside of Tennessee Tech. Would I be correct by that statement?
0: Uh, right now, they're probably about twenty point favorites against uh, Tennessee Tech. Yep, they are one and a half yep. uh, favored by one and a half against Hawaii. Everything else, they are an underdog of at least five points. And that includes UMass, the team that we already talked
2: about. Exactly. So realistically, I think this is a team that is going to not not, like plummet, but realistically, this is a team that didn't win that many games last year as it was. I just think they take a a step back and they look at maybe losing Rocky Long as a massive miss. But also I think a massive miss for them is the fact that they didn't address it in the transfer portal. I'm sorry, you bring back 31% of your defensive talent? 31% and you brought in only a handful of defensive players from the transfer portal. I'm not saying that they didn't try, right. I I don't know the inner workings who said yes, who said no, but it just feels like if Hawaii could have brought in 72% of the recruiting class was defense, as far as kids at high school, then they brought in another eight guys out of the transfer portal um, who were on defense. New Mexico could have done something in that realm, you know, in my belief and they didn't. And so I, with that being the case, I think that they take a step back.
1: All right, let's go to next up here, which is going to be Louisiana Tech clocking at number 126. Sonny Cumbie's first season at Louisiana Tech finished three and nine overall and two and six in Conference USA play. But two overtime losses and another one by another one score indicate the Bulldogs weren't far off from making another run at a bowl game. Five and a half is their DK win total. We have them favored to win four, we have them at five and seven. So we are officially under the five and a half Nick for Louisiana tech. Uh, they have the highest posted win total of the teams we've discussed thus far and hitting the over would mean bulge ability for the Bulldogs. Is that a realistic expectation uh, in cumby second season in a new look conference? It's,
0: you know, Louisiana tech is in a really interesting position. It's not too dissimilar from a lot of the teams we talked about. We're talking about a lot of second year head coaches, Today we're talking about a lot of teams that uh, you know obviously had disappointing records, nine, ten losses, but uh, for the most part were pretty competitive, especially in in spurts, and uh, you know had uh, a handful of games, in, in some cases, I mean, Louisiana Tech two overtime losses, another by a single score, um, that you know had had one bounce gone. Uh, the other way, their record could have looked quite a bit different. So I I don't think that it is uh, too, you know, out far, you know, too outside the range of, of expectations. I do think it is uh, a realistic goal, but uh, doubling the win total is, is tough. And even though Louisiana tech was maybe three plays away uh, last year and you know, has brought in, uh, some key pieces chief among them being Hank Bachmeyer. you know, was a a starter at Boise state for, uh, multiple years, 28 career starts started every game he played in at, at Boise state started as a true freshman, um, did not improve very much over his career, ended up transferring after four games, Last season, when it you know kind of looked like maybe he was going to be losing the job to to Greene Green anyway, um, but very experienced quarterback. That was a position that Louisiana Tech, uh, you know, had injuries, had its struggles last year. Um, and Cumbie is a pretty accomplished offensive coach. He is the play caller, uh, has had success in his past as a play caller. So if he gets a, a you know steady quarterback in there. Maybe Bachmeyer's not going to be, you know, what he he kind of reached the potential it looked like maybe he would have as a four-star true freshman starting at Boise State. Um maybe has kind of plateaued a little bit, but probably we would all agree uh, is an upgrade over what Louisiana Tech had last year, especially if he can stay healthy and and you know go out there each week. Um, throw in a guy like Craig Williams, squirrel Williams, uh, at Baylor had a, you know, pretty strong, uh, period last year has been a dynamic playmaker at times can contribute as a a return man. Smoke Harris is back for his eighth, ninth, 10th year of eligibility, whatever it is. He's been, uh, an all conference performer, solid receiver, also a, a return man. They bring in a pretty intriguing tight end transfer in Ryan Rivera, um, the offensive line, three full-time starters are coming back, but Abraham Deflin uh, or Delphin, excuse me, uh, was a starter. has twenty-four career starts under his belt, uh, but went down after a few games last season to an injury. So it's almost like getting four starters back. So I I do think that offensively, uh, and Louisiana Tech was one hundred and second in offensive team performance. Certainly not the best, but you know not. Uh, as bad as some of the teams that we've been talking about in this group. um, I I think that we're going to see a pretty fun offense and, you know, the three games that Louisiana Tech won last year, they scored 40 points. And, and, you know, so there's definitely um, some, some strong signs that we could expect that this could be a pretty fun offense. Didn't even mention Marquise Crosby, who was as a redshirt freshman last year, uh, really productive running back. So, you know, maybe Williams will start, maybe Crosby will be back uh, or, or, you know, maybe he'll run to, to that job. Maybe they'll, you know, be able to split carries and, and both be effective along with Sharvis Thornton. It's a pretty deep uh, running back group there. So um, offensively, Louisiana tech, I think is you know, probably got a chance to be pretty good. Defensively. I have my concerns. Um, they ranked 124th in defensive team performance last year they were 129th against the run and I tweeted this out uh, you know sometime last week when I was working on their team profile but the Louisiana Tech defensive line which returns one full-time starter Deshaun Hall played almost 60% of snaps last season uh, 27 career starts hasn't been you know super productive uh, or at least wasn't last year but uh, you know solid option He's 246 pounds um, and the most experienced player. The next, uh, you know, highest uh, guy with the, the you know, heaviest defensive lineman uh, that they've got on the roster is a junior college transfer, Omar Pugh. He's 290. Not sure he's going to factor in as a starter. Next to him, uh, there are two defensive linemen who I do currently project to start in the interior of what I believe is going to be a four-man uh, base front, four-two-five uh, seems to be their their base defense. Uh, two hundred sixty-six and two hundred sixty-eight pounds. Uh, everybody else on their defensive line depth chart is two fifty-four or lighter. I've I've got some I've got some concerns that Louisiana Tech is is going to continue to be pushed around up front. Um, and, you know, like everybody that, that we have already talked about in Conference USA, we'll continue to talk about uh, in Conference USA, the schedule is is manageable. They play one Power Five opponent. That's a uh, Nebraska, who obviously has had its own issues uh, beating teams it's supposed to beat. That game's going to be in Lincoln. They play SMU, who they'll be a pretty heavy underdog, I would expect. Uh, we have it as you know, more than two touchdowns. North Texas, former Conference USA uh, rival, winnable game, but but you know uh, most would probably expect North Texas, even losing a couple of their best players to Auburn today, uh, to to maybe be favored in that in Ruston. Um, but there are plenty of winnable games, but when you've got one position group that has been a little bit of a uh, you know major area of concern before that on paper, you know, and, and maybe these weights are wrong. They're what they're, what are on the official, uh, online roster. So, you know, uh, I can only uh, work with, with what I've given, but man, that is, I mean, I've seen high school defensive lines. That but you're are saying in, is, as I transferred to that.
1: Louisiana tech to bulk <laughs> up that line, you know, so. <laughs> it, it, they,
0: they maybe could use, uh, a a little help. I mean, it's space is only on paper, but man, that that's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of a concern. Uh, They brought in some talented and experienced players at linebacker uh, to fit alongside returning starter, Hugh Davis. Uh, They bring back Willie Roberts and Cecil Singleton jr. And Cedric Woods in the secondary, all of whom uh, have a lot of experience brought in some talent uh, in the secondary as well, including, you know, some guys who have, uh, some significant playing experience at the power five level. Uh, the Markham twins from Arizona state brought in a couple of FCS transfers who were, uh, starters. Miles heard was a full-time starter. Um, but man, that defensive line, just, just looking at it here on the, the sheet. Ooh, that's, uh, that's Delightful. concerning. A, a bit. So maybe you know, maybe they've got it wrong. Maybe maybe there's a three that's supposed to be here in in place of a two that I just didn't know better uh, when I was copying <laughs> the the numbers down from the uh, online roster. But uh, this Louisiana Tech defensive line, I think if if this team underachieves, um, it's probably be going to be because they're just small and and you know maybe not quite uh strong enough up front on the defensive side of the ball so um if if they can correct that if if they're better than they look on paper if they are bigger than they look on paper um you know they they certainly i think could make a run at bowl eligibility um i think they've got the skill skill position talent on the offensive side of the ball I think they've got a talented back seven and have done some good work in the transfer portal and uh, in, in the back seven. Uh, but that defensive line is a major red flag for me right now uh, until I see otherwise that I've messed something up. Um, you know, even going back and, and watching Louisiana tech last year, as I mentioned, only one of those guys was a full-time player last year that we're expecting to see. So um, not sure that that would do a lot of good, but we'll, You know, we'll, we'll see, maybe we've got it wrong, but uh, so far of any position group that uh, I've noticed in in the early stages of putting these team sheets together, that's the biggest position group area of concern I've noticed by far is the Louisiana Tech defensive line. So if, if they, you know, fail to improve from three wins uh, if they, you know, can't hold on to a lead in the fourth quarter. Um, if they come up short of bull eligibility, which is a reasonable goal,
1: I think that defensive line is probably going to have something to do with it. Xavier, your thoughts on Louisiana Tech? Uh, obviously, you know, defensive line issues clearly, as Nick stated, but right. can they get better this year? I mean, look, I played with the defensive line
2: in high school. That was bigger than theirs. Put that out there. Yeah. And, I mean, and once again, this is another team that they did not address that main issue in the transfer portal. They addressed a lot of issues. They went a lot of places, right? They went all the way out to Baylor to go get Craig Williams. Uh, They got Hank Bachmeyer out of Boise State, right? The coldest, easily the coldest name in college football. football. But they didn't really address D-line. They got a couple of safeties. They got one, two edges, but no real beef here, right? Like, even out of the guys that they uh, got in the transfer portal, I think Jaden Gray might be the biggest – Guy that they picked up and he's 235 pounds. Once again, not very much size. um You know, not even out of their um, high school recruiting class did they bring in a lot of size. So, once again, another team that I'm just begging the question are we recruiting for need or are we just recruiting talent? I mean, look, you can do both. We see it all the time. But realistically, this is going to be a team that has to score, outscore everybody to have a chance to win games. And I'm just not sure that that's going to be possible. Uh, With a team that defensively is probably also going to be Swiss cheese, and you know, last year they were able to beat Stephen at Austin, UTEP, right? They picked up a big win against Middle Tennessee later on in the year. But I look at their schedule this year and I go: FIU, Northwestern State. Do I stop there? Real, you know, do do I say that they win the the, the, you know after they're off? They have a bye week right before New Mexico State that might give them a leg up going into that matchup. Uh, But realistic, that's it. That's, that's really it. About three wins is what I can really read from this team right now who is going to be leaning, like I said, so heavily on that offense to be elite game in and game out. And sometimes that works at the G5 level, uh, but if I've learned anything, and this is going to be shaded, I can do this because I'm an alumni. If I've done anything from watching Georgia State over the last three years, having an elite offense with de- with no defense to recollect, doesn't work out in no the long run. It may flash for a couple of weeks and give you some chances to win games that maybe you're not even supposed to. But realistically, if your offense is, you know, having just the inkling of a down day and your defense can't help you at all, you're you're looking at a team that's going to maybe win two, maybe win three games max. All
1: right, let's go over to number 125, which is going to be Charlotte. And after a breakthrough in 2019, Charlotte appeared poised for long-term success and will Healy look like a future P five head coach, but three straight losing seasons including a disastrous three and nine campaign in 2022 cost Healy his job. Uh, DK has got the win total for Charlotte at two and a half. We have them favored to win two, but we have their record at four and eight. So we're officially over the two and a half for Charlotte. Nick new head coach, uh, Biff Pogie worked quickly to remake the 49ers roster leaning heavily on on his high school connections in Maryland and his recent duties at Michigan. Will the first-time FBS head coach get Charlotte back on track in its first season in the AAC?
0: If it weren't for Colorado, we would be talking about the roster overhaul at Charlotte. And uh, Biff Moji is, is you know taking anybody, it seems like, who has uh, had a connection to him in the past, a couple of players that, that uh, were there at Michigan, uh, many players who went through um, the, the high school ranks, prep school ranks in Maryland, which you know he was involved with uh, for quite a while, including several of his former players when he was head coach um, in Maryland. So it's, it's uh, an interesting strategy because I think I've made this comparison before and it's outdated. There's probably a, a better... Uh, one, but I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, it reminds me of when Steve Spurrier went to Washington, when I paid a little bit of attention to the NFL. Uh, and he was just like, you know, bringing in old Florida players who uh, didn't, hadn't really panned out in the NFL, but couldn't couldn't get enough Florida, uh, you know, players that he was familiar with. It It strikes me in a similar way that Charlotte is doing you know, kind of a kind of a similar thing. A lot of the players who were four stars uh, or high three star players coming out of Maryland uh, with connections to Pogi, you know, he's taking them all, and that could work out because, again, on paper, the way we calculate things, uh, it looks like Charlotte is is moving in the right direction uh, as far as roster strength goes. However, uh, you know. they're they're not landing a ton of uh, really experienced, productive, uh, well-established players. You know, there are a handful of guys who've played over 50% of their snaps at at previous stops. One of those is Jalen Jones, who was a high four-star recruit out of Virginia, started his collegiate career at Florida. Is transferring to Charlotte from Bethune-Cookman. You know, was the starting quarterback uh, at Bethune-Cookman last year, but, you know, didn't quite live up to that four-star uh, rating coming out of high school. Um, their you know, offensive lineman, Tyler Thomas, uh, started 77% of his snaps last year. Uh, performed pretty well. One of the higher-graded uh, offensive linemen that they've got coming in, according to PFF grades. But uh, that was at Grambling, the FCS level. Um, Austin Johnson played over 50% of snaps last year as a, a offensive lineman at Colorado, one of the worst offenses in the country last season. So, you know, there are uh, some players, I think uh, on the defensive side of the ball, a little more established, uh, including a former five-star in Iobi who really, you know, finally, after uh, bouncing around multiple programs uh, really kind of found a, a niche as a uh, pass rusher at Michigan really was great, quite honestly. He's uh, going to have an opportunity to play every down at Charlotte and, you know, hopefully will uh, capture, you know, some of what made him a, a five-star prospect uh, and maybe help, you know, him to boost his NFL future. Uh, probably – could have, you know, certainly earned a, a spot in training camp, I would expect, based on just his ability as a pass rusher that he showed uh, at Michigan. But, you know, with a full season of, of getting to play every down, you know, maybe there's a little more out there for him. Um, they did bring in some size a 320 pound uh, transfer on the defensive line, Katron Evans um, brought in, you know, guys like uh, Damon Clowney, uh, Zion Shockley uh, in the secondary, you know, CJ Burton. Uh, has played a lot at, at the you know FBS and, and Power Five level. So there's talent. There is uh, potential. Um, there are so many new faces. You know these depth chart projections. More than half of both uh, are first year transfers. Um, Charlotte is going to be. You know they do actually rank lower than. Colorado in offensive returning production. Uh, Not quite at Colorado's level across the entire roster, but, you know, this is a Colorado-like roster overhaul. There's just a little bit more familiarity, uh, it seems, with the players. Well, I guess a lot of, you know, Jackson State players ended up in Colorado, so there's a little bit of that, but there's even more st francis academy players uh going to charlotte so uh it's it's an interesting strategy um there are i think reasons to think that this will be a competitive team you mentioned that that charlotte really disappointed last year and i think that they were better i think by the end of the year they proved that they were better than what their record would indicate so i think there's some uh you know a chance that that regardless of of the roster overall, if there was a little bit more you know consistency uh, players coming back, I think there's reason to expect that this would be an improved team. I think because the the talent level uh, has been increased and you know there is such an influx of numbers, not just you know talented players, but uh, the depth actually should be pretty good. I think there's reason to be optimistic for Charlotte, um, but, you know, they are moving to a new conference, uh, a little bit tougher, um, you know, week in and week out do play Maryland and Florida in non-conference play. Um, it, it's not necessarily going to be the, the easiest uh, road to improvement, but with so many unknowns um, my, my outlook is, is, relatively optimistic Um, the two and a half win total that that seems low. I was actually a bit surprised at at how low that that was. I I thought four, right around our projection seemed about right. Probably was what I would have expected. So um, even though this is one of the more difficult teams to project just because they're so different than they were last year, um, I do think that this Charlotte team is probably a little undervalued right now. Um, it sounds like you know, all, all the quotes I've heard that Poji wants to you know run the football, uh, play good defense, be tough, physical. You know all the all the buzzwords for kind of an old school coach. Um, but that that seems kind of like it could be a fit for this team. And and Shadrick Bird at running back is one of the um, returning players. Power five transfer from Iowa uh, has started 16 games in the past, 210 pounds could be somebody you really lean on and, and, you know, an inherited player that becomes a a really productive piece uh, in that, you know, style, but also, you know, there's a, a true freshman Darrell Robinson coming in. Uh, four-star type guy from the state of Maryland um, who could be in line for early playing time. So um, I, I think that this, this Charlotte team and the, the roster construction that Pochi has done, he's given himself a lot of options, an influx of talent, and a lot, you know, if Bird doesn't work out, maybe it's Robinson. If he doesn't work out, you know, maybe there's somebody else. They brought in uh, Chaelin, uh Fama, Uh, Taw from uh, Maryland, you know, uh, Teron Kelman was an early transfer coming in, Uh, transfer from Northern Illinois, I believe. So you know, they they just through the the strength of numbers. um, I think Charlotte is is going to you know maybe churn through this roster uh, and and through the depth chart in fall camp, but it seems like they've built enough depth and enough uh, you know a long list of, of potential. Uh, players that they can eventually find the right mix and be a pretty competitive team weekend and week out uh, that I do expect will uh, win more than two and a half games and, you know, four or, or maybe even more um, wouldn't shock me.
1: Robert, your thoughts on Charlotte, do you think they're going to be a team to improve and, and can, uh, you know, get out of the the low teams that we talk about next year? Well, they. I think they took a surprising step backwards last year, right? I, I think, you know, Nick
2: you – know, that, that was one of the few, like, tweets Nick sent last year that I was, like, I was glued to, con- like, during the season, because was, Nick was, like, panic stations. He was like, I didn't expect Charlotte to be this bad. I don't think anybody did. Uh, and, and I think yeah. that really – yeah, that, that, that you look at a team last year that just didn't show up. They didn't. You know, they had a ton of senior-leading guys who you thought, you know, would want to go out kind of for the bang, and quite the contrary. They kind of just wallowed and wilted through the year, uh, kind of just finished the year three and nine, right? Uh, now this season, I expect a refreshed roster. I expect a team that, that is going to look to compete better than what they did last year. But I'm not as bullish as maybe Nick is um, about them. They they showed a lot of glaring issues defensively last season. Uh, I mean, you give up 50 points twice in a year, 40 plus points four times, or sorry, 53 times last year, 40 plus five times last season. Or six times last season. That's it's not a, a, a place where I feel confident with you whatsoever. So I, I
0: sorry to interrupt, but what? Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the players in my projected uh, first team defense right are incoming transfers. <laughs> so it's it's one of those teams where it's like, well, yeah. On the one hand, the defense was really bad last year. Yeah. Uh,
2: but this isn't the same defense. So no. what do we? What do we do? And, and that's and that's a fair point. The only cause for concern I would have in that regard would be how quickly do they all gel and get run. Like that's it, right? You know, you've got to have some type of ability to gel. And we we'll get early. T- they get early tests. I think you know the NC State game is another is going to be their first kind of trial run. Uh, they'll probably they should win that game by all means. Uh, but then going to Maryland, and then Georgia State is a game that realistically is my barometer game for them because Georgia State offensively is going to be a team that's going to continue to be good. Now, defensively is a whole different conversation. But if this team has actually taken the leaps forward defensively, we'll learn a lot in that game. They would have played two team games under their belt. They would have played a, a P5 team in, in, in you know South Carolina State at that point. So they would have had enough footage, enough film under their belt as well to really get there. It's a home game. And this is a game that honestly, you know, if their defense has taken that next step, they should win. Right. They beat Georgia State last year in an absolute shootout. 42-41. If they are better defensively, this is a team that they should beat pretty handedly. I'm not too high on Georgia State. You guys can pretty tell uh can, can tell. But they have to win that Georgia State game, in my opinion. You cannot start the season off one and four and go into that bye week, expecting them to turn it around and you know, after one bye week. And then not to mention, after the bye week, you get easily your most irritating game of the year by playing Navy. Everybody hates playing Navy because it's the most rudimentary system on paper and then you play it and it's hell for, you know, 60 minutes, right? So I think really if they if they come out slow in, in, the, in the first five games, then I'm very much concerned about what this team will look like this year. As the second half of their schedule, I would only maybe expect them to win two games out of that, uh, maybe Rice- and maybe Navy, like I was just talking about. Uh, Maybe USF at that point has quit. Who knows? USF is a team that kind of does one of these numbers all the time, so I'm not ever sure what USF will actually be by the end of the season. Um, But like I said, I think Charlotte should be better as far as more competitive is concerned. Will that turn to wins? I'm not entirely sure. That's wholly dependent on whether or not that defense, and once again, this is a team, like I've talked about in this episode, that actually addressed their issues coming into this year by going into and dipping into the transfer portal. If they can do that, Perfect. There'll be a team that competes. There'll be a team that gets closer to a bowl game this year than they were last season. Uh, probably where they should have been last season, to be honest, to be honest with you. Um, but does that defense gel and how quickly do they gel, right? If, if they gel in the back half of the season and they go, you know, three and what's that? three and three at the end of the year, but they started off one and four, you're still, once again, looking at a four, you know, a, a four and a ball club. So, I'm looking forward to seeing Charlotte offensively. I I know they'll be good defensively. They've got to show me what they've got early in the year, and let's see what they've got going forward after that.
1: All right, let's go over to 124 Nevada. Despite a roster that had been gutted by graduation and transfers, the Ken Wilson era of Nevada football began with two wins, but the Wolfpack lost 10 in a row including all eight Mountain West Conference games. Uh, DK's got their win total at three. We have them favored to win four and their projected win total at five and seven, so we are way over the three. Uh, Nick, Nevada's roster is much more experienced than it was entering 2022, but the Wolfpack must replace their top passer, rusher, receiver, and four of their top defenders. Why do our projections expect a jump to five wins? I have no idea. Uh,
0: (laughs) I, I... uh I don't know why uh, our projections are quite as high on Nevada. Um, the, the roster is a bit better. I mean, this was a team that by the end of last year was 118th in overall roster strength, uh, 112th on offense, 120th on defense. It is a an improved roster. They're going to be, you know, in the maybe closer to 100 uh, range. Uh, in, in roster strength this year, but you know, the, the, what you mentioned there at the end, they lost a significant percentage of their best players. I mean, Toa Tawa was uh, one of the only bright spots on the offensive side of the ball had carried a, a heavy, heavy workload. Um, he's gone uh, multiple stars on the defensive or excuse me, offensive line are gone. Uh, defensively, I mean, the top four tacklers, uh, you know, Dom Peterson, who was an, a top three tackler, excuse me, uh, Dom Peterson being, you know, a fourth uh, really experienced defensive player um, who was seventh in tackles or eighth in tackles, um, but incredibly productive as an interior pass rusher uh you know double digit tackles for loss last year six sacks um you know i think got a, an invite to an nfl training camp uh probably going to be like a star in the usfl or something but um he's gone so nevada is you know a little bit deeper um but sort of that top end what what any sign of life they showed last year. Bentley Sanders, five picks, one of which was a, a pick six. He's gone. Um, you know, it's it's still question marks at some uh, really important positions. What are they going to do at quarterback? Nate Cox wasn't great. You know, Shane Ailingworth uh, started a, a few games. Um, he is back, but wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, maybe he's not even the favorite, you know, to win the job. They brought in Brendan Lewis transfer from Colorado, who certainly wasn't, uh, anything special, uh, in Boulder, but uh, can run a little bit, you know, maybe they, uh, want to take, uh, advantage of, of his mobility. Um, there's kind of an intriguing true freshman, uh, on the law lo- on the roster. Excellent name, Jax Leatherwood. Uh, also six eight two forty five. Sounds kind of like a folk hero or something.
1: Uh, that sounds like a football player name. Right. 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 Jack I, I know Leatherwood. The, yeah.
0: Pretty so sure he's Jax, in the Hall of Fame already. Jack, so. yeah, J-A-X. Jax Leatherwood.
1: <laughs> Who, Even better. Uh,
0: yeah. The the good folks at, at uh, Campus to Canton uh, have some numbers that they put together in, in uh, their freshman guide that was published a, a month or so ago um, about arm velocity over expectation. Uh, and Jax Leatherwood was, was among like the top 15 uh, incoming freshman quarterbacks in that, which at 6'8, 245, I guess, you know, isn't too big of a surprise. So I'm curious to see how he he turns out, but also sounded like AJ Bianco had a really solid year. Uh, he was a redshirt freshman, had an excellent high school career at uh, St. Louis in Honolulu. So, you know, there are options at the quarterback position for Nevada, uh, whether it's Illingsworth uh, or, or Lewis who have more experience, whether it's one of the young guys who. Uh, you know, comes out and, and, you know, maybe has a little more uh, to offer. Um, We shall see it's, it's a position that you could, you know, or at least I could, I often do talk myself into, you know, reasons to be optimistic. Um, But still it's a big question mark because it could go in, you know, one of a variety of ways. And that was part of what held Nevada back last year was, the sort of shuffle between Illingworth and, and Cox. And um, there were some injury issues, but there was also plenty of inconsistency and, and just struggling uh, that, that factored in as well. But um, like last year, Nevada hit the transfer portal and, and we should expect uh, some transfers to play significant, Uh, snaps Sean Dollars, former four star recruit at Oregon, probably chief among those. I would expect that he, you know, could be in line, maybe not for a a quite the workload that Toa Tawa had last year, but um, could be the focal point of the offense, especially if you know the quarterback situation doesn't uh work itself out to where one of those guys is going to step up and uh be a big time performer. But Jamal Bell, who's been an explosive return man, uh, had a big spring game. He is back at receiver. Uh, pretty exciting player. Uh, Delvon Campbell uh, was a starter at receiver. He's also back. They bring in Josh Jackson the third from uh, USC. Kaliki Latu uh, played nearly half of uh, the offensive snaps at Cal last year at tight end. He's 6'7", 230. Kind of an intriguing option. Pencil him in to start right away. So, you know, their skill position wise, I think are, uh, some positive signs. The offensive line isn't very experienced. Um, but, uh, could, could, you know, see that, that maybe they're going to be able, uh, to put together a solid starting five. I mean, there are seven players who've started multiple games, uh, so far in, in their careers. So, you know, offensively, I would expect that this is, is going to be a team that should show more signs of life. Last year, they were 127th in offensive team performance. I think that they can, you know, move up a couple of notches, get closer to a top 100 offense. And if the quarterback position, if one of these guys, uh, you know, takes over and establishes themselves, uh, or if Sean Dollars turns into, you know, the the Near five-star player, he looked like coming out of high school in 2019. uh Then maybe they do take a pretty significant step forward defensively. Was the you know stronger side of the football last year for Nevada? They were 100th in defensive team performance. They were top 100 in both passing and rushing defensive team performance. Um, but they're uh, you know like I mentioned before, losing Patterson, losing Sanders. Um, there's uh, some, some concerns. The defensive line is young, inexperienced. Um, no full-time starters return. There are a few players with starting experience. There are a couple of transfers uh, coming in who, who are likely to uh, make an impact, but at least so far, you know, I'm not necessarily anticipating any major, You know, standout performer. They do have good size, multiple three hundred pounders, multiple guys in the two eighties, two nineties. So you know that is perhaps a a decent sign. Linebacker should be a strength. Do have three full time starters returning uh, at linebacker and multiple incoming Power Five transfers at that position. So maybe a couple. You know, maybe they're able to uh, move a couple of guys up off the edge. Uh, They do. Base out of or did last year a four two five so you know maybe a couple of the uh, linebackers do transition to you know rush end or, or something like that could certainly see that helping the unit they do bring back a couple of starters in the secondary and bring in Trey Weed who was a starter uh, at the the FCS level and you know some players who got significant snaps last season. Uh, a transfer, Darion Green, Warren, Power Five transfer, uh, JUCO transfer, Zeke Robbins, Emmy uh, Johnson. You know, all those guys played. Um, you know, between eleven and and twenty five percent of snaps last year. Would expect that they'll have an opportunity to go in and start. And we'll we'll see. I mean, like everybody, it seems that we've talked about so far. Uh, there are winnable games on the schedule. There are a couple that they're probably going to get blown out, including week one against USC, which right now we have Nevada as about a 40-point underdog. Uh, but a couple of winnable non-conference games, Idaho, Texas State. Um, and in the non-conference, or excuse me, in, in Mountain West play, uh, there at least right now is no uh, automatic loss. Even Fresno State, given the turnover that they've had last year, even on the road at Fresno. Yeah. There'll be a, a, an underdog, maybe even, you know, double digits or or two touchdowns, but that is not a, an unwinnable game for Nevada. They're not going to be completely outclassed, uh, you know, not have a a significant talent disadvantage, but um, why do we have Nevada (laughs) expected to win five games? That is a very, very good question. Uh, They do get the benefit of, you know, beatable opponents, New Mexico and Hawaii at home. Uh, you know, Wyoming, they're, they're not going to be uh, at a major talent disadvantage. That game's also at home. Colorado State on the road is winnable. Utah State, ton of turnover. Even though that's on the road, it's it's a winnable game. So, you know, you could uh, kind of look at it multiple ways and see three, four, maybe five wins if if things go right. But uh, based on last year, how the team finished, uh, the roster strength level, and just, you know, uh, the question marks, uh, quarterback, most specifically, and, and on the defensive line as well, it is difficult to, to be confident in uh, four or five wins. But if you look at all the you know, toss up games and, and kind of see that if a few positions work itself out, yeah, maybe, maybe that's within the realm of possibility. Five wins seems like a lot, but over three, you know, I, I, I don't hate it. So uh, it's certainly not, you know, a guarantee, but um, I think that, that I'd rather be on the over than the under for three for Nevada this year.
1: Xavier, your thoughts on Nevada. Do you think, uh, are you taking the over as well, or are you going to be on the under here? I
2: want to go under, but the Mountain West for me is too much of a crapshoot in some respects, not to take the over. Uh, I think we've said multiple times on this episode already that the Mountain West, that there's teams below Nevada in our list that, that could compete for better records in the Mountain West, right? And so I, I don't think it's, would be it would be smart of me to suggest the same thing, to suggest that Nevada couldn't also compete better, uh, especially for a team that you know, finish it with the top 75, transfer portal class, right? Uh ranked 72. Went out to the Pac-12 and just picked from the litter, right? They got three commitments from Oregon, all of which will probably be day one starters. Uh their entire, you know, the linebacker room, Adrian Jackson, Jackson uh LeDuc, and then Sean Dollars, obviously the running back from Oregon, uh, the former four-star should all probably be immediate, I would soon to be immediate uh impact guys. Um Ashton Hayes, another running back out of, the, out of the Pac-12 from Cal, quarterback Brandon Lewis from Colorado, three K guys from Cal, another linebacker, a D lineman, and a tight end. So, like I said, they went into the to the Pac-12 and were like, "Anybody you don't want, we'll take them, please and thank you." Um, and that's that's the way they should go for these G five teams. Look, every year we're going to see extreme overhaul from a lot of these G- uh, P five teams from kids who want to go actually play football. And if you're Nevada, you take that and you run with it. Um, And and so their recruiting gives me, uh, gives me positive vibes for them to to possibly compete for a better record this year. Uh, You know, last year, I think one of their major issues was was really just offense. They they couldn't put together an offense from week to week, even when the defense played well, this was a team that, that just couldn't, get over the hump, right? Losing a game 17-14, you know, losing games 23-7, 27-22, 35-28. The offense couldn't get over the hump enough to help them in games that were closer to being toss-ups. Now, the defense obviously has some poor showings against Boise State and Fresno State, but Fresno State's not the same Fresno State from last year, and uh, and, and even though I think Boise State is going to be better this year, um, they don't see Boise State this year. So I, I think if they can manage the first half of their schedule well, they have one of those middle-of-the-road bye weeks where they then get right kind of right into conference play, you know, get UNLV, San Diego State, and New Mexico immediately. If they can handle the non-conference well, right, they're going to lose to USC. So let's just continue to move by that. But if they can – Idaho, Texas State, who we know have got have brought in a pretty high, uh, high-tier high transfers, obviously with Lee Cornsby and now T.J. Finley, um, and then obviously at Fresno State and Kansas – but Kansas, they get at home. That's gonna be an interesting one for me. Um, that's a good game for me. I think Kansas should win handedly. But I would be, uh, I'd be remiss to say if Nevada competes, it's gonna try to change the way I look at Nevada to 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 a certain extent because I'm very high on Kansas this year to look better than they were last year in some respects, um, especially offensively. So, I think if they can handle their non-conference well, this is a team that should be right on the fringe of winning or, or getting to a bowl game um i think that this is a five win team is what i'm probably comfortable with uh which would give them a three win uh, plus three wins from last year hell they didn't even win a game in the mountain west last year so that would obviously be a a move in the right direction i think this is a team that's also like i said moving in the right direction and they're doing so once again through the transfer portal and i don't know i don't know how many times i have to say that in this episode but they're doing the right thing by going through the transfer portal and going out and getting need um and that should pay dividends as long as those guys deal like we've talked about with previous people
1: all right, let's go to 123 Arkansas State. Arkansas State came up short uh to Sun Belt rivals Old Dominion, Southern Miss, and Texas State by a combined seven points, but lost its other six games by 20 plus. Still at three and nine, the Red Wolves improved in Butch Jones' second season. DK has got them for four and a half. We only have them favored in one. We have their record at four and eight under uh three and a half is, um, or uh, under four and a half, excuse me, uh, is going to be our official stance. Uh, Nick with Arkansas state, one of the few teams yet to update their 2023 online roster. I can tell your annoyance there Our Arkansas state projection has some questions, but based on what we know now, should we expect the red wolves to get better? And, uh, what, what can they do to get over the hump this year? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, little little bit of frustration there. Uh, have to do a little bit more guessing than than with most teams. There are some uh, Arkansas State uh, team sites and, and beat reporters that uh, were certainly helpful. The two four seven site at Arkansas State is is certainly a good one. Um, had some you know spring recaps and and depth chart talk and and things like that. Um, but it's also there are a lot of unknowns. I mean, it sounded like Jackson Daly at quarterback, the retro freshman played three games last year. Um, you know, seemed like he was uh, the, the guy to beat there at quarterback. They did bring in JT Shrout, a transfer, uh, was most recently in Colorado uh, started eight career games. I believe started his career at Tennessee was a four-star transfer and, um, they bring back Corey Rucker, who uh, was an incredibly productive wide receiver uh, two years ago at Arkansas State. Transferred to South Carolina, dealt with injuries all year, and outside of a like a 52-yard touchdown catch, uh, really didn't do anything. Um, he and, and Courtney Jackson, you know, combined with Jeff Foreman and and you know, Adam Jones, Deverick Jenkins, Kaleem Waleed, uh, could be one of the better. Receiving groups uh, in the Sun Belt. Uh, Brian Sneed was a you know one-time Ohio State recruit. Uh, he appears to be the you know top guy on the depth chart at running back. But Zach Wallace uh, is a multi-year starter at UT Martin could certainly factor in. So you know couple that together with uh, two returning starters on the offensive line, multiple Power Five transfers on the offensive line, uh at least two of whom we would expect to start right now. Jacob Baer, uh uh who's actually not a P5 transfer, right? He's somewhere else. I got I got confused here for a second. Um but multiple Ole Miss transfers. Jalen Cunningham uh right now is penciled in at our uh right guard spot. You know, expect that this Arkansas State offense Has a chance uh, to to be pretty good. Jacob Bear is a FCS transfer from Lamar, Uh, but you know he bringing the experience to your starter at the FCS level. Guys like Jalen Cunningham, Hamilton Hall, Tobias Brown, Braun, excuse me, um, come in from the Power Five level. You expect they're going to be able to to put together a solid offensive line. You know you could talk yourself into uh, even with a change at quarterback. Change of running back, um, losing you know one of the best tight ends uh, in uh, the the country, you know highly sought after in the transfer portal, and Cede Toure. That this Arkansas State team could still be pretty good on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they could be improved quite a bit. Last year they were 125th uh, in offensive team performance, 128 um in rushing offensive team performance so i think you know wallace and a full year out of sneed uh get that offensive line in shape pretty you know would expect a pretty significant improvement there defensively arkansas state really really struggled to defend the pass last season and you know, they do bring back some experience in the secondary. Three starters in the secondary. Uh, looks like five starters in the back seven. But um, did lose, you know, some of their uh, most uh, productive and, and talented defenders and linebackers, uh, Keevan Bennett and Jordan Kamouche. Kamouche. my apologies if I mispronounced that. But um, both of those guys who... You know, factored among the uh, team leaders in tackles, tackles for loss, pressures, sacks, um, Bennett being three of those four. Um, it's a it's a significant loss. So there are players like Malik Straker, uh, Ethan Hassler, uh, De- Denard Flowers, who are expected to step up and and help out the pass rush. Um, There's, you know, Eddie Smith, who was a transfer last year, came in productive, um, should be able to, you know, be a a, a full-time starter defensively. Uh, Last season, he, Sammy Johnson, Travion Thomas, give a solid core uh, in that secondary, should be a, you know, somewhat improved unit. Um, But are they going to be able to, you know, get the pass rush or are they going to be able to replace guys like Bennett uh, who had, you know, pro upside. So there are a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of moving pieces and new uh, faces in significant roles, including quarterback, who in addition to Daly, who it sounded like, you know, is the guy to be at quarterback perhaps. But I, I read some really positive uh, reports on Jalen Rayner, true freshman quarterback. So don't be don't be shocked if we see a little bit of him this year as well. but even with you know losing uh, starting quarterback last year, James Blackman, um, some turnover at some key spots, Arkansas State was competitive enough and returns enough, we think, <laughs> trying to go through uh, and determine exactly who is on and off the roster. Um, I, I do think that there's a chance that we see this team, take another step forward. Four and a half wins to me, uh, you know, see, it seems like a lot. Um, It it wouldn't shock me if, if this team goes over and and wins five, because last year really they were very close, just a couple of bounces one way or the other. Um, They could have gotten there. Uh, But with uh, this team, uh, the turnover that it's had, the six losses by 20 or more, that they had show that there is, you know, kind of a, a, a lot of room for improvement. Um, I think I'm I'm comfortable on the under, and this could could be an improved team, um, but I'm not sure we're going to see a significant jump in the win column.
1: Xavier, so, your thoughts on Arkansas State? Do you think uh, we can get uh, some more wins here for them, or is it going to be Pretty close to what we saw last year
2: so my biggest concern with arkansas state is just the fact that they play in the sunbelt Belt. <laughs> I, like I, I genuinely think this is a good enough team that could win elsewhere uh, but the Sun Belt sold last year that its competitiveness goes a lot deeper than what people you know even imagined right marshall joined the conference old dominion joined the conference james madison joined the conference last year and all of them competed extremely well if i'm not mistaken one of those teams would have been in the Sun Belt championship if it wasn't for rules so like my only concern with Arkansas State is the fact that even though they could be better, how much better do they need to be to compete in the Sun Belt? You know, and sometimes that's just a question that has to be answered. And it might be leaps and bounds that they're better than defensively. And then their offense might be the kind of the same as they were last year. And Arkansas State has always kind of been a good offensive unit uh, going, dating back for, since I, when I started college. Um, and so I, I think, you know, offensively they'll be fine. But once again, defensively, they need to be better. Um, just how much better will they actually be as far as the win totals are concerned? That's why I, I agree with Nick. Four and a half for me is a little bit rich. I, I think I'm more comfortable with four. Um, they also don't play a, a, a cupcake of a non-conference. They get Oklahoma, Memphis, uh, Southern Miss. Uh, it's not a great one, you know, They get at UMass and Stony Brook. Those are nailed on two wins, right? You know, we, you know, Texas State might have been a nailed on, you know, third win if it wasn't for the talent that they brought in through the transfer portal. Like I just, I don't see it if that makes sense. I don't really see the fifth win coming in this team this year that, you know, because some boasts just a deeper conference, you know, and this is a team that in the the, uh, actual recruiting trail has done an excellent job, finished 84th overall, 75th in composite rating. Uh, They felt so good about their team and so good about their their recruits from this year. They didn't even try to go into the transfer portal as far as ranking is concerned, right? Finishing a 201. (laughs) So, you know, I, I think this is a team that they feel comfortable in some respects, they did bring in some talent from the transfer as far as their office is concerned, bringing in two high-class receivers, an offensive tackle as well, coming from Ole Miss, South Carolina, and uh, Syracuse. But I just don't um, – Arkansas could be better as far as the numbers are concerned, but I just don't see them getting the five wins in a conference as deep as this bill
1: All right, let's go to number 122, Akron. Akron, another 10-loss team in 2022. Akron lost six of those games by single digits five by one possession a 44 12 win over niu was a highlight for the zips who appear poised to take a step forward in the mac this season three and a half is their dk win total we have them favored to win Three and we do have the record at five and seven so we're healthily over that uh three and a half here nick akron uh the question here is joe moorhead increased the talent level at akron in 2022 and the zips ranked 30th overall and fourth in the mac and returning production more wins seem likely but is there a path for the zips to become bowl eligible bowl eligible excuse me but first time since 2017 i definitely think there is um i'm you know uh
0: five and a half wins two over uh what the uh experts at draftkings have uh seems pretty optimistic and for the most part our projections if you look at the you know team by team odds uh we're definitely on the side of uh you know the public whatever it is uh, whoever's uh moving these i mean we're Minus 145, minus 180, minus 140, minus minus one fifty five. you know, not getting a whole lot of value here, but, but, um, Akron is, is not quite as lopsided. So there are plenty of people out there. If, if, you know, there's, uh, action on, on Akron at this point, who maybe look at the team name and, and think, oh, well, Akron's always bad. Um, and you know, they, they certainly have been, it's, you mentioned, they haven't been to a bowl since 2017, uh, for several years, they've been right there among the very worst teams in college football, uh, both talent wise and on the field last year, they, they took a little bit of a step forward, finishing 122nd in overall team performance. But, um, the work that Joe Moorhead has done and, and he's been you know uh, he is a well-respected coach uh offensive coordinators had his most success but you know he he won at mississippi state he won at fordham um he was considered uh in you know expected to be in the mix for plenty of other jobs uh didn't necessarily have to settle for a really difficult uh job like akron but Had some connections there, went, and, and, you know, we're already seeing, I think, some positive signs. Um, Last year, Akron ranked 103rd in offensive team performance, 109th in defensive team performance, which doesn't sound like much, but that's about 20 spots higher uh, than they were in 2021. In 2022, you know, they were in the 120s for a a good little while there in defensive team performance for uh, offensive team performance. So we're seeing some positive signs, a lot of experience coming back, the success they had at the end of the year that you mentioned, that was without DJ Irons, who was out with an injury, Uh, expect him to uh, be back and healthy and and, uh, connect with one of the top uh, duos at, at wide receiver in the Mac and Alex Adams and Daniel George, both of whom were power five transfers uh, who saw significant playing time and, and were productive last year. Adams was an all conference performer. Uh, Daniel George actually uh, was the, the, uh, you know, most targeted of the two uh, but Adams ended up having the the bigger statistical season, but they're both, you know, solid players and, and among the most talented uh, receivers in the Mac. And, and so even though they lose Shockey Jacques Louis, who himself was, uh, you know, got 110 targets and, and actually led in receptions and yards, um, Adams and George, I think, you know, will pick up a significant portion, um, of his production and, and could be, uh, really, really, um, productive, uh, receivers in the Mac. Um, a couple of, Veteran tight ends who uh, were were decent options as pass catchers last year, TJ Banks and Tristan Brank. They are both back, even though Cam Wiley, uh, who was the leading rusher last year, has entered the transfer portal. Clyde Price, the third, uh, had seven touchdowns, led the team, um, got right around 100 carries, 300 yards. Not a great average per carry, but um, should be able to uh step into that role and and if not you know or either he will will uh play a, a decent spot there or former five star recruit Lorenzo Lingard who's you know definitely come up short uh of those expectations in his careers bounced around a little bit uh but he is on campus uh at Akron as is Drake Anderson who's bounced around a little bit from Northwestern to Arizona, both of those power five transfers, um, you would expect that maybe even the rushing attack without Wiley has an opportunity to be better. So if Price steps into a full-time role, great. Uh, If he continues to be more of a, you know, goal line short yardage type option with Lingard and and maybe Anderson taking over more of the uh, every down duties, you know, Hey, that, that there's definitely options. And uh, one thing, give credit to Joe Moorhead. Um, Akron hasn't had uh, very many talented options uh, on the offensive side of the ball in recent years. He's done a, a, a very good job of uh, you know, building uh, depth and, and just adding talent to that group. The offensive line was a bit of a strength last year. They ranked top 75 in O-line uh, performance, not spectacular by any stretch, but um, outplayed their talent level. They will have to do that again, I think, to to reach these projections that we've got to truly make a run at bowl eligibility because they are somewhat inexperienced on the offensive line. It's it's uh, the weakest uh, unit on the offensive side of the ball, according to our numbers, by a pretty significant margin. Probably going to be one of the lowest-rated offensive lines in the country as far as their talent numbers go. Uh, but you know, last year, like I said. They played about uh, 50 spots better than their talent would indicate, uh, as far as our uh, O-line performance numbers go. So, if you get a similar output, or you know, maybe even not quite that good, but play at a top 100 level, I still think this Akron team is going to be a very difficult offense to to keep in check. At uh, you know, in in Mac. Uh, in in Mac, in Mac play. So um, defensively, there are, are uh, maybe less overall uh, reasons to be optimistic, um, but they did grade out similarly 109th in defensive team performance. They really struggled against the pass, right, 122nd in passing defensive team performance, but have added a couple of interior um, likely starters, defensive linemen to Ray Jones, Lama LaVea. Um, hopefully that'll help, you know, keep the uh rush defense that was more the brighter spot, ranked 82nd uh last season. Bubba R. Lanson, who is an all-mac performer at linebacker, tackle machine. Uh, he is back for another year of eligibility, was was able to get an extra year of eligibility. He's already played 46 career games, 20 eight starts um, is a 90 plus rated player in our individual player ratings based on all the production that he's had a veteran secondary that returns four starters. So four or five starters there uh, return. I, I think that, you know, this Akron team um, uh, coupling the experience that they gained last year with some of the momentum, maybe they picked up with the, the strong uh, end of season, the very competitive you know, final several weeks of the season, that big win over Northern Illinois, who though they were out of bowl contention at that point, uh, was the defending MAC champion. You know, there's not a, a very, uh, hu- you know, not a huge gap between the top team and the MAC and, and uh, the bottom. So there's a lot of room to maneuver there in the middle. And I, I expect Akron to be part of that middle tier this season. I think that their talent at receiver and really the offensive skill positions as a whole, their experience on defense, especially in the back seven, some of those transfers hit up front. Uh, I, I could see Akron winning enough in the MAC to make a run at a bowl game, uh, get the win over Morgan State. Maybe you're one and three in non conference play. Uh, but I do think that, you know, a 500 or better record in mac play is certainly uh a worthy goal and and you know a decent
1: expectation for Akron this year. Uh Xavier, your thoughts on on the Zips. Do you think that they can uh improve and turn some of these uh you know slight losses into slight wins? It'd be about time, wouldn't it? Like I
2: just feel like when you look at Akron, you're looking at a roster that needs and should be playing better at this point. They've had too many down years at this point. And then, to Nick's credit, this is a team that was extremely competitive last year. And I like teams like that in the match, in the match, in the match, because I think that next year they should be a team that competes at a higher level and possibly turns a lot of those losses into wins. I said this earlier in the episode about somebody else that, you know, you're going to have to learn how to win in some respects, right? Uh, you know, they lost a handful of games by just a possession, um, you know, losing, you know, the, the last game to Buffalo only by one point. Uh, you know, uh, Bowling Green, homecoming, lost by three. Um, so I, I think you look at this roster and you go, okay, they should be able to take that fuel from last year, not being able to to finish, uh, get to the finish line through a lot of those games and move that into the right direction. This year, their, their, their bye week also I think is a little more favorable than it was last year. They had a very late bye week last year, and they had two at the end of the year, which I've never seen before. They went on November 5th and November 19th. That was extremely odd. That means they played nine straight games. They had a game
0: canceled. The, okay. the Buffalo game because of the that uh, blizzard.
2: That so, okay. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like I said, extremely late bye week. So it doesn't obviously give you the amount of time to to make adjustments in the middle of the season. This year, you know, it's still a, a nice stretch of games, but they do get a bye week kind of somewhere in the middle after playing about seven or eight games. Get a bye week. Should be able to prepare them for the last end of the season. But I think that they can compete. I think this, I like, I like Nick being bullish on this one. This is a team that, uh, you know, had a pretty good transfer rating this year with an 89. Uh, this this is compiling last year's 57 transfer ranking um, um, in the recruiting trail. So if you expect that talent from last year to continue to grow it, on top of that, you infuse some of the talent that comes in from this year, bringing in, you know, uh, Lorenzo Lingard from Florida. He's huge. You get and obviously Joey Hunter from South Carolina, they they breed corners to an extent like uh, you know they, they, every couple of years they have another guy that goes top that is a, is a, a rather high draft pick so South Carolina is not bad at recruiting corners so getting a, a corner out of uh, South Carolina is a good get as well so once again and if those two guys are the only two guys you got and you ranked 89th that means you did that because you knew that they were high end guys that could help you win right away and so I like Aqua. I think this is a team that could absolutely win a bowl game and I think it's one of those fast risers in the MAC that. Surprises some people, but if you listen to CFP winning edge, you wouldn't be surprised by it at all.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's go to the last team that we're going to talk about today, number 121 Stanford. And as the program's winning as coach, David Shaw oversaw one of the golden areas of Stanford football. But Shaw was also part of a slow decline that ended with five straight losses and a three and nine season last year. DK has them at three. We have them favored to win two, but our uh, final record projection is at four and eight. So we're officially over the three Uh, Nick for Stanford, new head coach, Troy Taylor led Sacramento state to the FCS quarterfinals in 2023. And it was the national coach of the year in 2019. Can the former Utah offensive coordinator turn the Cardinal around quickly, or is this job just too difficult for this year and beyond? I I don't have a very good
0: uh, answer immediately for that because uh, Stanford I think was uh, better might not be the right word but they were certainly a more talented team than what their record would indicate two of the last three years um, they had a winning record in 2020 difficult to you know gauge that um, but came up. Short, disappointing record, obviously last year, and and in uh, you know just just it's been a bit of a struggle, uh, really through the last four years, right? So, uh, I I think that Stanford was a team that, as much as I uh, respect David Shaw and and you know you mentioned he's the winningest coach in program history, uh, oversaw a lot of success there, but things had grown stale needed a little bit of a change and i thought that you know maybe stanford was a team that could rebound pretty quickly with the right hire with a talented roster troy taylor has had a lot of success um hasn't been a head coach at the fbs level but you know did some really really great things at sacramento state uh the offense there last year it was a lot of fun um there's reason i think to be excited about what he could do with uh ej smith with uh modia rubin silas Starr, benjamin urosek you know there there are talented players on the stanford roster that that should benefit um, especially in the offensive side of the ball from the coaching change um the you know intellectual brutality just wasn't quite working um for the the last few years uh so there i think is is you know some reason to be optimistic um also uh, taylor has has uh, benefited from some loosening of of restrictions on transfers we mentioned uh lamson uh that that they were able to bring in and, and expect that he will um compete for the starting job, I mean, you know, Ari Patu and, and Ashton Daniels uh, entered as as the favorites to replace Tanner McKee, but neither you know gets anybody I think uh, super excited at least at this point. Lampson hasn't quite done anything uh, in the fall, but had a huge spring in twenty twenty one. Looked like he was going to legitimately push Garrett Schrader at Syracuse, um, but ended up. Getting hurt, missing the year, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he factors in. EJ Smith played three games and and then was out for the rest of the year. Casey Philkins came in, did decently well uh, at running back, but he went down. Uh, and so Stanford, you know, in part injuries and lack of depth, which will continue to be an issue, um, really undid Stanford last year. Being able to use the transfer portal, maybe not quite as much as, as some other teams, uh, but in in limited spots to help fill, you know a, a major hole here or there, um, is going to be, I think, important to this, you know, not becoming that job that's just too difficult to win uh, at, at a place like Stanford. Um, the offensive line is really the the place where I think we're going to see this the most. If if Lamson wins the quarterback job, then you know that that is obviously, uh going to be big, but Stanford lost a ton of players, uh, a ton of offensive linemen, veteran players uh, to the transfer portal last year uh, or, or after last season, I should say. So this roster, this this group of offensive linemen, um, one of the most inexperienced in the country, only one full-time starter returning, uh, beyond that, only one other player with any starting experience. So Levi Rogers was the starter at right guard last year. Jack Laver has uh, two career starts, and that was it. Uh, last year's unit, uh, Barrett Miller retired, or, you know, exhausted his is, uh, time. But Walter Rouse, Jake Cornerbrook, Drake Nugent, Miles Hinton, and Drake Metcalf, all of whom, you know, probably would have started at Stanford this year, uh, left via the transfer portal. Rouse ended up at Oklahoma. Nugent is at Michigan. Metcalf is at UCF. Hornbrook is at Duke. Uh, and Hinton is also at Michigan. So, you know, these are players that it's not like they uh, weren't sought after. It's not like they had to drop down to the F- uh, you know, FCS level or, or didn't receive significant interest. These guys were snapped up pretty quickly. Um, and so... Yeah, you know, Stanford lost guys that had eligibility remaining at key positions and quite a lot of them uh, in one particular unit. So fortunately, uh, they were able to add a couple of transfers. Um, Alec Bank, Trevor Mayberry transfers from Harvard and Penn respectively. So, you know, obviously, uh, they're still a little picky uh, academically with, with who they're going to be able to bring in. But um, this, you know, adding those two guys who were uh, starters of, of 20 and 18 games, respectively, they have division one experience. They have, um, you know, the ability to come in and, and uh, probably compete uh, be at least average, if not better players at the PAC 12 level uh, on the offensive line. That's, that's big. Um, so some of the major holes that crop up because, Stanford does rank among the, the extreme low end in returning production. Right now they're 132nd in our adjusted returning production. So second to last, uh, they're 130th on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, just to, to put some of those offensive line numbers in perspective, they returned 27.3% of their snaps from last year's group on the offensive line. They also lost Branson Bragg to, uh, career medical retirement. So uh, he, he could have started uh, as well, but um, uh, being able to uh, go into the transfer portal, help uh, stop the bleeding from, you know, so many guys transferring out is important. I think changing the offensive philosophy being a little more of a, you know, spread philosophy uh, for Stanford probably is a step in the right direction given what is on hand, given the, the you know type of players that are currently on the roster. Defensively, you know, they Stanford has struggled uh, last, you know, in, in recent seasons, last season they ranked 123rd in defensive team performance, 130th against the run. They uh, should be in, in a little bit better shape, uh, have some experience, in the front seven, uh, they brought in an FIU transfer uh, at linebacker who we mentioned briefly earlier in the show. Uh, Gathan Bernadel, really kind of intrigued to see what he does because he was a fun, productive player. David Bailey, as a outside linebacker, you know, rush-in type guy, was a, a full-time starter as a true freshman last year. Uh, he, I think, has a really high ceiling, should be uh, productive, but the – you know, secondary and Stanford's bright spot last year, statistically was its past defense where they ranked 55th in, in team performance. Um, they have a, basically a brand new secondary, have to replace multiple guys who are going to be pros. So I think that uh, there's, there's just a lot of unknowns. Um, the schedule is difficult. Uh, they do travel to Hawaii, a game they should win, uh, but then immediately, you know, come home and then travel to USC. They play Sacramento State, who was uh, a tough FCS opponent. Uh, Taylor, I think, left that program in in pretty uh, good standing. Uh, and then, you know, the the heat of Pac-12 play, the the you know next uh, eight weeks, uh, nine or excuse me, eight game, eight games in nine weeks against Pac-12 opponents, including Oregon, UCLA, Washington, Oregon State, the rivalry game against Cal. It's going to be difficult. And then finish with Notre Dame uh, in the regular season finale. It's a tough schedule. It's a really uh, inexperienced roster. It is a thin roster. I mean, just in terms of the number of players, I think Stanford, any team that I've uh, been able to finish their team page so far this year, Stanford has the – lowest number of just actual names on the the roster. Um, and if they're uh, hit with any sort of injuries like they were last year, we saw that um, it, it's very, very difficult to uh, fill those spots. They had to bring over you know a backup safety to end up starting at running back the last few weeks. So um, hopefully they'll have a little bit better injury luck. Hopefully we'll get to see a healthy EJ Smith. We'll get to see, Uh, some fun offense with, you know, Benjamin Urosek, who's one of the better tight ends in the country. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to see uh, David Bailey make some plays and, and, you know, good uh, performers up front from guys like Tobin Phillips and Anthony Franklin. Um, But I don't have a great read overall on Stanford because they've been a team that's underachieved. They're a team that uh, has had so many injuries, uh, plays a very difficult schedule. and you know, they're they're doing a lot of new things this year. So I think I'm glad that we're on the over because I just think that I, I think that this was a program that was in need of change and will respond positively to change., uh, but i I certainly could see the argument that this is one of the least experienced teams in the country. Um, and there's just too much new in a place where it's just gotten really hard to win. Um, that, that, you know, you wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't argue too heavily if, if you felt that, uh, Stanford would go under three. Um, but I do think that, you know, I'm, I'm having to be on one side or the other, the way that we do these, these, uh, previews, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm happy
1: uh, that we're on the over. I think they'll find a way to win four. black and white, Nick, uh, no, no middle ground, no gray area. So, uh, Xavier, what do you think about, uh, Stanford? I mean, obviously, you know, David Shaw was a, a solid coach. I think a lot right. of people agree with that, but you know, like Nick mentioned that this is, it's a tough spot to be in, especially with a lot of talent leaving. What do you think about the Cardinal for 2023?
2: it's going to be ugly. Like there's no short way about it. It's going to be an ugly rebuild, Like, This is what it is, right? It, 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 you know, Stanford has allowed itself to kind of sit stagnant for the last couple of years, just hoping that David Shaw can maybe find his rhythm again. And he just wasn't able to, and they've lost the momentum according to the, you know, when you look at the rest of, of college football, you know, and unfortunately the NIL, I think hurts at school, like Stanford, right? Like, you know, they already had restrictions with academics as far as, you know, having to get, you know, having to have you know, as, high, as high of a GPA as you do to have to get in there to begin with. But on top of that, now it's making more kids feel like, okay, well, I can go other places and get money as well. And I feel like Stanford's going to have to do this, you know, they're going to have to kind of build from the ground up again. So um, three wins just feels disrespectful, though. Like it just does. I'm sorry. I, I don't, you know, I know that they only went three and nine last year. I get it. But to say that this is a team that won't find a way to win more than three games just doesn't sit right with me. Doesn't feel right when I talk about Stanford, especially now that they have let go of David Shaw and they've kind of turned over this new leaf and they're going to get out of this, you know, Purely pro-style offense where they run the ball 35 times a game. And, you know, uh, maybe some of these high-rated quarterbacks that they've had over the last three years that seemingly are NFL darlings but didn't produce in the college level actually can produce at the college level again. And I think that that's extremely important as well for them. So I've got them winning four games. Now I'll, I'll take all of this back because they lose that first game to Hawaii. i take it all. <laughs> I take everything I just said back. If they lose that first game to Hawaii, give me the under. But – or or just hit me with with three wins uh, max. But I I think they handle their their non-conference schedule well, right? Hawaii, Sacramento State. Um, I think they can handle both of those well. Notre Dame is going to obviously be a tougher game at the end of the year. But who knows what Stanford also looks like by that point. You know, I I think the Pac-12 has some winnable games in there. They have a bye week right before Colorado, and I think Colorado is going to be okay at best. So that's a a toss-up game for me. Um, Arizona, even though I love Jaden DeLora. That game is a toss-up in some respects. And then UCLA is going to take a step back this year without Dorian Thompson-Robinson, in my opinion. So there's winnable games out there. They just got to do it. You know, and I know that that makes it sound easier said than done, obviously, but I think ultimately this is a Stanford team that I'm excited for the the new Stanford to an extent, right? And I think E.J. Smith is an absolute bona fide stud, you know, uh, along you know, a long list of now bona fide studs at their running back position, regardless of how good they've been, right? Bryce Love, Christian McCaffrey, the list goes on. So I think... Like I said you look at them this year I give them four wins I think they can beat Colorado after the bye week they might be able to beat both Colorado and UCLA in back-to-back games they get UCLA at home um so and that's their homecoming game you know so I I I think Stanford pushed the button at the right time they pushed the trigger to get rid of Shaw at the right time I know it was a mutual you know decision they, they went ahead and moved on at the right time. Yeah, we, we all know, Scott. Uh, right. But, I, you know, I, and I think that we see a Stanford that kind of comes into the 21st century, to, to, for lack of a better term.
1: All right. Well, look, we got 10 more down here. So, uh, that's under is, three hours. Yeah, that's well under three hours. I mean, impressively under three hours so uh making them quicker too well, so hey I i've like... got the team sheets ready to go for western <laughs> okay so anyway we will see you guys <laughs> next week uh you can follow us all on the twitter machine uh at bogman sports for myself at cfb winning edge for nick and at xavier underscore trist chE for xavier that'll wrap it up and we'll see you guys next week take it easy everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.